0: I'm Hannah.
1: I'm Sheena, and I'm Lori. And you're listening to Cemetery Row. Woohoo!
2: Woo! I'm
1: gonna re real
2: quick. <laughs> oh, we oh. we survived ice snowmageddon. Twenty four blizzard. Twenty
0: four. I was oh. I was like, you guys were in my thoughts and prayers because I know I'm. Even though I'm like used to it now as much as you can be used to list like the insane temperature Chicago gets. I will forever defend my Southern brethren because we're not built for this shit. No, we're not. (laughs) It's just not. The infrastructure is not there. The housing isn't there. Nope. Like nobody owns a down jacket. (laughs) No, it's just not there. It it sucks because it wasn't even
1: good snow. Like, yeah, snow you could do anything with stuff. yeah it was this it was, was
2: fluffy i thought well, no
1: no it was fluffy that's the problem you couldn't make oh. snow you couldn't make build a snow band like we tried oh. so far oh, it yeah. just it, it just fell apart so they couldn't the kids couldn't do a snowball fight you have to have a good balance of like moisture to the yeah yeah it was very very soft i don't know then,
2: good snow <laughs>
1: and then and then we got then we got ice on top of that
0: and yep, so the ice yeah. it
1: was just like fucking miserable well, it was a and nightmare
0: that's the thing of like because here like even if my road's not plowed um it's for the most part everyone kind of keeps it and then we have the salt trucks that just yeah. are constantly out and then everyone salts their dry are though they're it's actually you have to shovel and salt your sidewalks per city codes and stuff and yeah. i'm like, telling people i'm like first of all you don't know the number of like country roads that people have to go down yeah in these areas or just like side streets Nobody has industrial salt. We don't have salt trucks, you know, so nobody. And then how are they supposed to go get the shit to salt the driveway if they can't get out of the fucking driveway? Yeah. And what I loved. not built for it
2: was Memphis would like different news outlets would post and say something like, Oh, the the snow plows are out. Okay, we don't have snow plows. They were like bulldozers. And so people were correcting them in the comments, like, that's a tractor, that's a something or another. So it was we don't even have snow plows. We just had something and they were trying to scrape up the road, but I mean, we kept freezing overnight, so anything that was slushy during the day, it just turned back into ice, back exactly. into ice, back into ice. It was so bad. And then bad. as it does
0: that, you get that black ice where it mm-hmm. looks like the road, and it's not. It's a big icy patch that's about to put you in a ditch. I mean, because yeah. even here, we have, like, private snow plows, and it's basically people with, like, an 85 Silverado with a giant snow thing on the front. But I'm like, it gets the job done, you know? Yeah. And it's, People come, hit, like, hey, plow out our alleyway or whatever behind their house. Yeah. Well,
1: well, yeah. So. I mean, my uh, my dad came and picked me up because he has the big truck
0: that can handle
1: that. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I live just around the corner. And it took us, like, 15, 20 minutes to get around because he was driving very carefully. And then there were people that yeah. were driving way too fast because parts oh, yeah. of the- It was the worst type of conditions because parts of the road would have been dry. And Mm -hmm. then you'd come around a corner and there'd be an icy patch. And so people were not maintaining an, uh, a reasonable rate of speed so it was it was intense but everybody was talking like oh this is the worst snow we've had since 94 and i'm like do y'all remember 2021 like am i, I the only person that remembers we had this epic snowstorm in 2021 it snowed multiple days like yep. 10 inches plus and nobody seems to be talking about this one <laughs> it's
2: yeah just, and that one that one was like Mostly snow, but that was some thick snow. Oh like, yeah! I remember walking out in it, and my foot would just disappear. And I'm like, okay, I've never had that happen before. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was perfect that was
1: sledding snow because it was. Kids- Uh, or well, Sawyer, Bonnie was a baby, but, uh, Sawyer was, was sledding with the neighbor kids, uh, or my parents' neighbors down the, the big hill in the front. So
0: yeah, I I did like, I remember the 94 one because I lived in Arkansas. So yeah, we were out of school for a whole week. Like it was, everything just had like foot thick ice on it. And we just were like, okay, six days, they were home six days. And, uh, yeah, this stuff
2: wouldn't melt.
1: It was, well, they, and they also, so they could have probably gone on Tuesday, but, you know, and they would have gone if it had been during our era where you had to wake up at 5 a.m. and watch the TV, but yeah. uh it was still a little icy Tuesday or Monday night, so they went ahead and canceled school. Well, then it rained and got hot, you know, 60 mm-hmm. degrees, so Tuesday morning, all of it was gone. Yeah. But, but yeah, now they don't, they don't stay up. They just like, "Eh, we're going to cancel school." And then they don't yeah. have to make up any of the snow days.
2: Yep. Oh, lucky kids.
0: Shut up.
1: We were in school back oh, the beginning so of lucky. June that yeah. year. Yep. Mhm. you yeah. are a lucky duck kid. You're not you're still getting your President's Day holiday and all that nonsense.
0: Oh, that's oh, yeah, crazy. We damn near didn't have a spring break that year either. They're like, "Y'all got a bunch to make up." What yeah.
2: Uh Times are crazy. I did appreciate, though, how Memphians got out and celebrated the snow because there was like a guy skiing all through Midtown and, (laughs) you know, just random stuff like that. And I'm like. And 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 crime went down a little. Well,
0: yeah, because ain't nobody Cause that trying was to about nice. this shit. No. Yeah, that it's was too, nice. Well, I mean, because it's true when there's when it's stormy out, when it's like raining, criminals don't want to be out in that shit either. So, <laughs> yeah, I will I say to rob when it's raining outside. Speaking of,
2: I had a ghost tour last night, and the weather was so gross. It was yeah. kind of misty and very cold. I had a great group with me, though. So, if they're listening, hi. Um But yeah, it was funny because. It was a Saturday night and Bill Street was just dead. There was no one out. And it was like, yeah. oh, this weather is just, this is stay at home, cuddle up with your kitty cat weather. So, oh,
1: yeah, no. for those of you that aren't in Memphis, uh, we got rid of the snow and got inundated with rain. So, yep. like, it's like, We've had We're one soggy. day. <laughs> yeah, we've had one day
0: without rain this week. I'm telling it's you mostly Chicago been has been bull for the past week. Yeah. Yes, Gwen, I have to move. Don't yell at me. It it
1: was <laughs> it was awful. Like poor Buster. I I went to TJ Maxx and got uh, a a uh, beard trimmer because I'm gonna have to trim his paws because he comes yeah, in from home. going potty and it takes me forever to clean his paws because he's got yeah. so much hair and they get so muddy and he's yeah. such a good boy. I tell him towel and he sits on the towel and lets Aww. me do his
0: feet. Pickle he gets the grinch feet.
1: Yeah, oh god, yes. And then Pickle just ah, cuz he doesn't want anybody touching his feet. He's like a little
2: chihuahua. Oh. <laughs> Tabby
0: was that way. Ta- Tabby did not like her feet. Those but short-legged dogs like don't want you touching them. I would ha- that- that's why I would have the vet do her Toe Toenails? Toenails, yeah. I was like, she is going to scream so loud. Oh, yeah. They're like, no, we're we're used to it. I'm like, so just do what you got to do. She would. And then whenever they would have to take blood from her because she had a little like one inch little legs and she would just holler and but I'm like, she's a drama. Queen. Oh, yeah. Know
1: what you want. Yeah, That's that's pickle. I have to take him and it takes two people to hold him because he's uh, long and a football He's a little yeah. torpedo, but the good thing is he doesn't have a neck, so he can't turn his head. Right.
0: <laughs> that was Just the off. tub. She really couldn't like get around you. so I was like, mm-hmm. as long as you got somebody occupying her up front, you were fine. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And Lou, who speaking of pets.
0: Um, yes
1: yeah. for the the uh so I I know I've talked about her on here before but um so Miss Piggy who was uh going to be 33 in April my horse that has been with me since I was eight years old nine years old something like that um she made it through the snow and then a couple of days after everything melted she just could not get up um actually it was yeah the tuesday everything melted um she got stuck in this giant pan that we feed her in on the ground it's like cup like it's just like a big rubber made container almost uh mm-hmm. but it's she's such a sloppy eater that that's what we fed her in and uh my brother called me and's like hey Piggy's stuck we need your help and we you know the three of us me tony and dad got her got her out of the pan cut her out of it, but she just couldn't get up. And I don't know if it was her hip or what, but we did call the vet out and he was, he got there late Tuesday afternoon. And I mean, he told me if she can't get up in a couple of hours, you know, you're going to hate doing it, but get a whip and and get after her and really be aggressive because you've got to make her uncomfortable. And if she doesn't get up, you know that, She's not wow. going to. And so we, we tried it a couple of times and I got behind her and pushed her as hard as I could to try to help her. But she just, she was gone. And, uh, Dr. Mercer, our equine vet was, was so nice. He said that, you know, old horses in that weather, um, you know, it takes yeah. a lot, it takes a lot for them to stay warm and yeah. they just, they're spent they're out of gas and um so we did make the decision to go ahead and um have her put put down um I got to sit there with her head in my well not in my lap but like I was right behind her head and I was stroking her face and talking to her the whole time mm, yeah um so it was very you know i I definitely cried I was very sad um but it was it was a very peaceful transition I mean it, yeah. if in people years, she was in her mid nineties. Oh, right, yeah. So she'd she'd had a good run. She'd had a good run, and and again, I was able to pet her face and talk to her the whole time, and like right there with her up until she was gone. And so, you know, it was it, it's the first time I've actually ever been right there with them. Yeah, um, we've had to have horses put down before, and but this was the first time that I was like Dr. Mercer, I want to sit there with her while you do this. Yeah. Um, it took him a few minutes because he had to get a vein and find, you know and and because she had been down in that position for so long um, so yeah it, it was very peaceful I cut a big chunk of her mane out uh, because I, I bought a shadow box um, yeah. and I so I've got the t- the mane all braided and I uh, glued ribbon to it and I've got I'm looking for some I'm going to try to do one of the very first horse shows I showed her at I got a good picture uh, in 1995 so, Aww. <laughs> Some of you You listeners are not even alive then. I know there are a couple of, they're not as good as that one, but I have pictures from like one of our last horse shows um, that I'll put in there. And I think I've got ribbons somewhere that she may want. So I'm going to do a nice little shadow box for Miss Piggy. I've got her horseshoe. My dad pulled off her horseshoe for me. Yeah. Um, And then her halter um, with her name on it. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to lose them, especially she had been, you know, Miss Piggy, 30 years is a long time to have an animal. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm at peace with it. I'm, I'm doing okay.
0: Um,
2: yeah.
1: I yeah. will shout out our neighbors. Well, my parents' neighbors, uh, Elizabeth and Travis were very helpful. Elizabeth brought, she, she does wedding flowers. She has a, um, it's called EH Blooms. If you're in the area and you ever need wedding flowers, uh, she made us a really, really nice little, uh, bouquet um Aww, of flowers really that she sweet. brought over. So yeah, that was really nice of them.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, and she had a good life because di- wasn't she basically like a pasture ornament for her life? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like the last uh eh, maybe ten years probably, because I'd quit shut like the kids would ride her every now and then and I like I gave a couple of lessons on her. But yeah, she pretty much yeah. from She
0: kinda got to be a hobby horse.
1: Yeah. 24 on was just, you know, a very well-loved pasture ornament. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> Can't yeah. Ask yeah. Can't ask for it.
1: That's true. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's it's. You know, I, I am very like I'm glad that it happened. You know, of course, I hate that it happened now and that we couldn't plan it out a little better. Um, because my mom panicked because she was in the barn, and when you have a horse that size die in a barn. Like sometimes you have to take a wall out of the barn to get them, but we were able to, my dad only had to take off like the front door of her stall and they were able to get her out really easily. Um, But yeah, so there's, you always want to try when you know it's coming to, to plan it out to where you can have them out of the barn. Um, But yeah, so for, for it to kind of be a surprise, um, I think everything went as smoothly as it could have. So,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: And she's buried right out by the barn. Uh, our county that we uh, live at, DeSoto County, Mississippi, I will, you know, there's a lot of backwards things about DeSoto County, but uh, <laughs> the the people, they will come and bury a horse for you. Um, and Ma, like, so this was Tuesday. She, uh, late Tuesday afternoon, they had already left for the day, but they were there at 7.30 Wednesday morning in the rain. To um to to put her in her final resting spot so she's out by no. the barn. Um and, and we may do a headstone for her. We haven't done one for yeah. any of the other horses buried out yeah. there, but uh Miss Piggy may get one.
2: Yeah. Yep. It's always tough to lose a, a pet. Yeah. Pets oh, are, yeah. I hate to say pet, seems so.
1: Well, it's, yeah, right. I mean. It's, it's for a member
2: of the family. Yeah.
1: No, she, I mean, she, she, you know, she was a pet. She was definitely a pet. And Miss Piggy, I, I know we're we're going long on the chit chat, but y'all just deal with it. Miss um, Piggy got her name because when she was born, her mama's milk didn't come in right away. And so they had a bottle feeder for like a week. And the name fit. Like she was boss mayor. Like that was one of the things I tried to do to get her up is I'm like, she's very food motivated. So maybe if I shake <laughs> a bucket and give her a bite, she'll get right. up. Um, And when we got her, cause we bought her when she was three, uh, my mom was like, we are not calling her Miss Piggy. And like within a week it was like, <laughs> okay, this horse is Miss Piggy. Uh, yeah. So she, she would drink Pepsi out of a can. She <laughs> loved I love food. it. She was, she was, yeah yeah girl same girl.
2: yeah <laughs> same me too um i think we have a grab bag yeah. for this week yeah um, i'm
1: excited because we have no idea normally we talk about like, yeah what our episode like what what we found and this week i like yeah oh but I have before have no idea we
0: jump into the grab bag um my dad did issue us a correction yes of course he did yeah. Petty Officer first Class Hopper. hopper. Yeah, um, we were saying it boatswain because that's mm-hmm. how it's spelled. It is <laughs> Bosun, bosun's mate. Look, so, I have,
2: I have no reason to know civilian. that. So yes, I'm a <laughs> civilian. Yes.
1: Well, and we always check. Like I, che- I Google or I, I listen to every city, every yeah. Person's right. last name that I may mess up, and I always do that. I would have never thought
0: that Me that's neither. how that was pronounced. I would have never looked that. Right, up. never in a nope. million years would None. I have like even thought about it. But yeah. thank you, Papa Hopper, for yes, doing yes. That for yes.
2: Us. The the more you know, the little star <laughs> yes. going across. Now we know. Okay, it's all right, kick thing. us off. Yeah, yeah. kick us yeah. off, Spider Monkey.
0: So we're gonna talk about somebody who. I find just endlessly fascinating, not just because I love their work, but because as a person, they're just like one of those like agents of culture, especially if you're into the woo-woo stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is Philip K. Dick. Oh, Uh, cool! Yeah, he's an author, right? Yes, he's an author. Okay. Um. So some we're going to talk about it again later, but some of the stuff that he's written is uh, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep," which. Mm Um Blade Runner is based off of. Oh wow. The, yeah. The man in the High Castle, um, which had that Amazon TV show. Yeah, Hugh Grant, yeah, Hugh Grant off, was in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, A Scanner Darkly, which was mm-hmm. like a huge Okay. Yeah. When I was younger. That was like all the gross cigarette smelling artsy boys loved mm-hmm. that <laughs> movie. I remember that way. one. I really liked gross, skinny, cigarette-smelling, artsy boys at that time. So it just, it worked. Me um, too. Dirty,
1: <laughs> dirty rock, skinny, dirty rocker boys was my. Yeah, uh, rocker I'll boys. Know. Yeah, with, that,
0: with the eyeliner. Gotta <laughs> have the eyeliner. Yes. <laughs> bad hygiene, bad opinions, bad everything. But 21-year-old me was like, yes.
2: Thank <laughs> God we
0: kind of grew out of that. Look, yeah. at this yeah. no, point, I'm, I'm, I just I'm, I'm... want to know that you're gainfully employed. And I grew employed. out of it. I don't know that Spider Monkey grew out of it. I,
1: I definitely, <laughs> uh, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, looking back, y'all, I don't know if y'all were, <laughs> I know I'm getting sidetracked again, but Your five, day, it's okay. Family Force 5 came into the radio station. <laughs> yeah, I remember and, that day. And we were yep. all we're interviewing like, and what? I was like, damn. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and and we look back now and we're head head like, oh
2: God, that hair.
1: Yes, i know but, but man patty could still get it man he was, he yeah. was hot they
0: were they were yeah. bangs are making a comeback and i i don't know how i feel about it <laughs> everything's I'm just making like, a comeback y'all i'm just like could I, we, I don't want to be 20 again i really it's, don't no. it's cyclical it all comes <laughs> yeah. back around all like, right i know how my parents feel anyway so <laughs> and i did not know this and this is again just life's little accidents. He was born December sixteenth, nineteen twenty-eight, in Chicago, Illinois. Of course, oh, there you he go. Is.
1: Of course, he was.
0: <laughs> Look, I didn't even know that when I started researching him. So he was actually born a twin, whose name was uh, Jane Charlotte Dick, and they were born six weeks premature, um, Ooh, which is oh, yeah. no, not uncommon for multiples. And I imagine in the twenties, really not uncommon for multiples. Um unfortunately, she would pass away six weeks after her their birth oh
2: that's um so
0: sad, and the kind of crazy thing is that at the time that she was deceased, his parents made a headstone for both of them.
2: Oh gosh
0: and I'm like, God. <laughs> and I'm like Oh wow, I don't know how I feel about that
2: yeah that's that's a that's, lot, that's,
0: that's a, a lot. lot cuz my thing is like what if he grows up and you know gets married and he wants to be buried with his wife like yeah. okay but you know parents who just lost a, a, one of their babies who's to know who's to know that's so true that's true i try not to judge the headstone oddly enough is in colorado it's not in uh chicago so there was possibly some moving around after the babies were born you know i didn't go too deep into what happened there but yeah. the idea of him losing his twin at such a young age really went with him throughout his life um, because the phantom twin idea and trope does come up in his books a lot. And so I can't imagine like I've lost a sibling and that's really, really hard. I can't imagine losing a twin because I know that relationship is just so much deeper. Yeah. Um, So after that, they, his dad actually worked with the United States department of agriculture um so they did do some moving around um and they settled in San Francisco Bay area. Um when he was 5 his father transferred to Reno Nevada his mom Dorothy said nope and they got divorced which in the 30s oh my. is quite a thing. Right. Um, um, so she was like, you know what? I'm a single parent this shit and they moved to Washington DC. Um where, you know, she was going to edu- do with her boy there. um, He was educated in Quaker schools. I, the Quakers are really cool. I actually think that there is a Quaker church, like not far from here. Cause I was driving. No, that's cool. It, and it was like friendship hall or something. I was like, I think that's yeah. Quakers. Yeah. Um, in 1938, they went back to California from Washington, DC, and he became interested in science fiction. Um, And he read his first science fiction magazine in 1940 called stirring science stories (laughs) i love science fiction from that period it's like the og twilight zone episodes yeah science fiction and horror really tap into what our anxieties are especially Mm -hmm. to a certain extent and like the old school twilight zone ones a lot of it was like about space travel and like Weird stuff that happens as a result of that. I'm like, of course, in the 50s, they're terrified of space travel. Like this yeah. is new. And they're like, what is happening? It's very cool. um yeah. He attended Berkeley High School in Berkeley, California, and he graduated with fellow science fictioner, fiction author Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, cool. So I'm like, I'll be damned. Um, <laughs> but they didn't know each other, which I imagine Berkeley High School is huge. Probably. Um, if you breathed in my high school, I knew who you were. <laughs> I, yeah, same. I graduated people. Yeah. Um, he attended the University of California at Berkeley, which I'm sure was just as prestigious back then as it is now. Uh, he didn't stay there very long. He did leave in 1950. He didn't cl- declare a major, but he took classes in history, psychology, philosophy, and zoology. He dropped out because of anxiety problems, which child believe. Yeah. Me, I'm with you. He also disliked the mandatory ROTC training at the time, which late 40s coming into the 50s, I could see that. Yeah. Um he did befriend poet Robert Duncan and linguist Jack Spicer, who gave Dick his ideas for the Martian language. Um that is the one thing that I do love and I did this as a kid because You know, I definitely was not autistic as a middle schooler. Um, I created my own alphabet and like wrote my own language in it. You weirdo. I I did this in study hall. Literally, we had a study hall period. And so I just made my own alphabet and then proceeded to like write a bunch of stuff in it. And the kids who were sitting at my table are like, What are you doing? Like, shut up. This is my process. Um, So I totally respect authors like, who like Elvish and Dothraki. I'm like, that's just so cool that they make up their own language. (sighs) We're not all autistic. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Through his studies in philosophy, he believed that existence is based on internal human perception, which does not necessarily correspond to external reality. So my friends who do chaos magic, perception is reality. That is part of that is what you perceive is what is real to you. And that, you know, so a lot of chaos magic and stuff like that is coming from that. And everyone who's not interested in that stuff is going, girl, shut the fuck up. It's insane. <laughs> right? yeah. Leave me alone. Um, he described himself as an a acosmic theist, which he described as meaning that I don't believe that the universe exists. I believe that the only thing that exists is God. And he is more than the universe. The universe is an extension of God into space and time. That's the premise I start from in my work. That so-called reality is a mass delusion that we've all been required to believe for reasons totally obscure. When I tell you I would have gotten drunk with this guy at every party, (laughs) I would have done it. After reading the works of Plato and pondering the possibilities of metaphysical realms, he he came to the conclusion that, in a certain sense, the world is not entirely real and there is no way to confirm whether it is truly there this has been a theme in many of his novels that comes into like, it's all the simulation. It's very matrixy. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, He began his early writing in science fiction magazines, which back in the day um, they had literary magazines where a lot (laughs) of like modern authors got their start was publishing in these. Um, They included planet stories. If uh, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Um, his debut novel, solar lottery was published in 1955 um, alongside a, another novel by Lee Brackett called the big jump. The fifties were a difficult, impoverished time for Dick. He once lamented, we couldn't even pay the late fees on the library book again. Oh, we, we've been there. It's just, you're yeah. a, you're an artist kid. Um, He published almost exclusively within the science fiction genre, but dreamed of going into mainstream fiction. He also produced a series of non-genre, relatively conventional novels. Um, In the 60s, Nick, uh, Nick, Dick wrote that he was willing to take 20 to 30 years to succeed as a literary writer. The Dream of Main... Mainstream success formally died in January 1963, when Scott Meredith, literary agent, returned all of his unsold mainstream novels, only one of them, Confessions of a Crap Artist, <laughs> during Dick's lifetime, and that was in 1975. So, you know what? Science fiction was where you belonged. Um, in 63, he won the Hugo Award for The Man in the High Castle. Um, that TV show, like, scared me, because it's like, oh... <laughs> This is getting a little too close to, like, we'll modern see, period. will what,
1: see, what is that? Because, like, I just always assumed that that show was, like, about British politicians. I, no, so, so, so The Man t- in the
0: High Castle is, we lose WW2, uh-huh. and the U.S. is split up between Germany and Japan. Okay. Yeah, that is yeah.
1: not what no. I thought it was no. at all. <laughs>
0: And so one of the so Amazon created the show, it's been years, but they got in trouble because the very first, like their kind of like guerrilla marketing for it is they put swastikas on the bus seats in New York. And then and then on the East Coast they put like the rising the Japanese, you know, Uh flag, the former Empire flag on the bus seats. And like especially the ones in New York, they're like, Okay, Holocaust survivors take these trains. (laughs)
2: Right, this
0: is not ancient history. You need to not do this. Like, this yeah, is, who told you this was a good idea? Yeah, um, because the premise of the story is that the west coast gets taken over by the Japanese and the Germans take the east coast and they, you know, kind of split it down the middle. Um, it's a really interesting take on it. And it's one of those that, like, you're watching it, you're like, oh, I can't, this is hitting too close to present yeah. day for me, so we're just going to skip it, because I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't need to feel like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um,
1: and I'm just going to correct myself real quick because I'm yeah. sure somebody I just looked it up. This is not the show I thought it was. I don't know what okay. Hugh Grant show. So, yes, now I Hugh Grant was not in this one.
0: <laughs> I don't there know which one another was another at. one about Churchill that Grant was in. That may be the one I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. and I think it does talk about, like, a castle or something like that. But, yeah, yeah you're thinking of the Ch- Winston Churchill one. <laughs> yes. I'm like, Same yeah, general no. period. Yeah. Yeah. Um so he did win the hugo award for the man in the high castle um he was hailed as a genius in the science fiction world but the mainstream literary world was still not into it um and he would on- he could only really publish through low paying science fiction publishers like ace who published his first Um, novel. He said in a 1977 interview that were it not for interest by a French publishing company in the mid-60s which decided to publish all of his catalog at that point, he would not have been able to continue as a writer. But even in his later years, he continued to have financial trouble. In the introduction to the 1980 short story collection, The Golden Man, he wrote several years ago when I was ill, Heinlein, who is another author, offered his help Anything he could do, and we had never met. He would phone me to cheer me up and see how I was doing. He wanted to buy me an electric typewriter. God bless him. One of the few true gentlemen in this world. I don't agree with any ideas he puts forth in his writing, but that is neither here nor there. One time when I owed the IRS a lot of money and couldn't raise it, Heinlein loaned the money to me. I think a great deal of him and his wife. I dedicated a book to them in appreciation. Robert Heinlein is a fine-looking man, very impressive and very military in stance. You could tell he has a military background, even to the haircut. He knows I'm a flipped out (laughs) freak and still helped me and my wife when we were in trouble. That is the best humanity there. That is who and what I love. Well, okay. So good for Robert Heinlein. Yeah. Um, So he would go through some some personal problems. He would have a marriage breakdown. He would start abusing amphetamines. Oh, Um, never good. Never good. Let's not do that. Nope. Um, nope. And so he also had some really unprecedented writer's block, which haven't we all been there? Yeah. Um uh, one day in November of nineteen seventy one, Dick returned home to discover he'd been burglarized and his safe had been blown open and his personal papers were missing. The police could not determine the culprit and even suspected that Dick had done it himself. Um, oh wow which is wild shortly thereafter, he was invited to be the guest of honor at the Vancouver science fiction convention in 1972, within a day of arriving at the conference and giving his speech titled the Android and the human. He informed people that he had fallen in love with a woman named Janice, whom he had met there and announced they would be remaining in Vancouver. So he spent some time in Canada doing Canadian things (laughs) Um, on March Okay, we're going to get a tiny bit serious. Okay. On March twenty third, nineteen seventy two, Dick did attempt suicide by taking an overdose of potassium bromide. Um, he fortunately did not complete suicide, so we are very thankful for that. After deciding to seek help, he became a participant in Calais, which is a synanon type recovery program in Canada. Look up synanon if you ever have time. It is fucking wild, and the seventies were crazy um and i don't know if i would trust any program named x calais i just no, feel like they not are at going all to harvest my organs um he was well enough by april to go back to california um in 1972 of that year he wrote a letter to the fbi about science fiction writer thomas dish i'm sure i'm not pronouncing that right in my heart of hearts it's also pronounced dick so um, <laughs> Dick said he had been approached by a covert anti-American organization, which attempted to recruit him. Dick said he reacted. He recognized their ideology in a book that dish had wrote again, but did this happen or is he getting paranoid because he did suffer from some mental health co- you know, issues, not to mention having Im- abused amphetamines. He relocated to orange Cali, Cal- California at the behest of California state university, Fullerton professor, Willis McNally, um, who had began talking to him while he was with X Calais. Um, He donated his manuscripts and papers and other materials to the special collections library um, where they currently are at the Philip K. Dick science fiction collection in the Pollock library. So if you go to Cal state Fullerton, go check it out. Um, During this period, he befriended a circle of Fullerton state students that included science fiction writers K.W. Jeter, James Blaylock, and Tim Powers. Jeter would later continue Dick's Blade Runner series with three sequels. I love Blade Runner. Um, and he began writing his novel, A Scanner Darkly, in 1977, which included fictionalized depictions of the burglary of his home, his time using amphetamines and living with addicts, and his experiences with ex Calais, which in the novel are called New Path. Um, hmm. You're like, okay, what did he mean by flipped out freak? <laughs> Let's get into <laughs> it. On February 20, 20th, 1974, while recovering from the effects of sodium pentothal, which I didn't know you could do recreationally. <laughs> um, No, it was actually administered for the extraction of an impacted wisdom tooth, which I have had impact or i've had like wisdom teeth issues they have never given me sodium pentothal and i feel like yeah. they have denied me ability to trip balls while my mouth is packed <laughs> with gauze somebody also brought him some darvon which is pretty heavy that's that's yeah. some shit when he opened the door to this girl who is bringing him an extremely heavy drug he was struck by the dark-haired girl's beauty and was especially drawn to her golden necklace. When he asked about its curious fish-shaped design, as she was leaving, she replied, it's a sign used by early Christians. So she's talking about, there's a name for it, but you guys have seen the, the Jesus fish. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the yeah. name for it, the Jesus fish.
2: I think yeah, it, it's if, like, if it has
0: any other name, I don't know it. It does. It's called the ichthus. Oh. Okay. Go figure. Um, he called the symbol the vesicle Pisces, which to me sounds like a sex move. Um, <laughs> the name seems to have been based of t- conflation of two related symbols, which is the ichthys symbol, which is the Jesus fish and the vesica Pisces, which is basically like the middle of a Venn diagram. Hmm. Uh, Dick recounted that the sun glinted off the gold That as the sun glinted off the gold pendant, the reflection caused the generation of a pink beam of light that mesmerized him. Homie was tripping balls. (laughs) He came to believe that the beam imparted wisdom and clairvoyance and that it also believed it to be intelligent. Again, they don't give you drugs like this for wisdom teeth anymore. Yeah. On one occasion, he was startled by a separate recurrence of the pink beam, which imparted the information that his infant son was ill. The, this is going to be fun to say. The dicks rushed her child to the hospital where there was an illness indeed confirmed. Oh, no. I'm like, okay, homie. What would she give you besides Darvon? Was there some shrooms? Yeah. In there? Like, what is happening? After the woman's departure, Dick began experiencing strange hallucinations, although initially attributed him to the side effects of the medication. You think? Yeah. He, he considered this explanation implausible after weeks of continued hallucination because you were mentally ill, my friend. Mm-hmm. He told Charles Platt, I experienced an invasion of my mind by a transcendentally rational mind, as if I had been insane my all all my life, and suddenly I had become sane. I feel like this is a bad Omen for him.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Throughout February and March of 1974, Dick experienced a series of hallucinations he referred to as 2374, shorthand for February and March of 1974. (laughs) Aside from the pink beam, he described initial hallucinations as geometric patterns, occasionally brief pictures of Jesus in ancient Rome. As the hallucinations increased in duration and frequency, Dick claimed he began to live two parallel lives, one as Philip K. Dick and one as Thomas, a Christian persecuted by Romans in the first century AD. He referred to the transcendentally rational mind as zebra, god, and valis, V-A-L-I-S, which is an acronym for Vast Active Living Intelligence System. Okay. Yes. I'm like, that was some good phenobarbital, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) He wrote about the experiences first in the semi-autobiography Autobiographical novel Jesus Christ, Radio three <laughs> Radio Free Albamuth, then valis The Divine Invasion, The Transmigration of Timothy Archer, and the unfinished The Owl in Daylight. Mm-hmm. In nineteen seventy four, Dick wrote a letter to the FBI accusing various people including University of California at San Diego professor Frederick Jameson of being foreign agents of Warsaw Pact powers. So the Warsaw Pact is like Russia and its collective brouhaha's. He also wrote that Stanislaw Lim was probably a false name used by a composite committee operating on orders of the Communist Party to gain control over public opinion. Homie was not well. No, not at, this at all. <laughs> he was not well at all. And I don't think giving him Darvon was the uh, was the idea there. At one point, Dick felt that he had been taken over by the spirit of the prophet Elijah. He believed that an episode in his novel, Flow My Tears, the policeman said, was a detailed retelling of a biblical story from the book of Acts, which he had never read. He documented and discussed his experiences in faith in a private journal he called his exegesis. E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. So not like Jesus, like yeah, sort of Romany words. Portions of which were later published as The Exegesis of Philip K. Dick. The last novel he wrote was The Transmigration of Timothy Archer. It was published shortly after his death in 1982. Um, early in his life, Dick had attended Communist Party USA meetings, but shifted more towards anti-communism and libertarianism as time passed, which... Okay, I love Philip K. Dick. I love his stories, but do a lot of libertarian, greasy dudes love him? Yes, they do. Yeah. It's yeah. A thing. Well, what can you do? It's not his fault. In an interview, Dick once described himself as a religious anarchist, which okay, borrow. Mm-hmm. Um d- Dick generally tried to stay out of the political scene because of high societal turmoil from the Vietnam War. Still, he had to still he did show some anti-Vietnam war and anti-government sentiments, which most Hippies in the 70s and 60s Mm -hmm. did. Yeah. In 1968, he joined the Writers and Editors War Tax Protest, an anti war pledge to pay no income tax, which resulted in the confiscation of his car by the IRS. Uh oh. (laughs) Y'all, don't play with the IRS. They will come get your shit. Yeah, they will. Uh, um, Dick was a a critic of the US government. Regarding it to be just as bad as the Soviet Union and cheered on the great decentralization of the government. Yeah, he's you know what? I'm not surprised by any of this. <laughs> His politics occasionally influences literature in the 1967 short story "Faith of Our Fathers." He's critical of communism in the 68 novel "Do Android Dream? Do androids dream of electric sheep?" He does condemn the eugenics movement, which I appreciate. Thank you. Yeah. Um. In 1974, he wrote, uh, as a response to the Roe v. Wade decision, he published a pre-persons, satirical, anti-abortion, anti-mouth. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, (laughs) And then he said he got death threats from feminists. I think you were just being an asshole. Yeah. As one does. Um, Yeah. Complicated guy. But again, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, On February... 17th 1982 after completing an interview dick contacted his therapist complaining of failing eyesight and was advised to go to the hospital immediately but did not the following day he was found unconscious on the floor of his santa Ana, california home having suffered a stroke Um, on february 25th 1982 he suffered another stroke in the hospital which caused him to be brain dead on march 2nd he was disconnected from life support After his death, his father, Joseph, took his ashes to Riverside Cemetery in Fort Morgan, Colorado, where they were buried next to the twin sister that he lost as a baby. Her tombstone had been inscribed with both of their names at the time of her death, 53 years earlier. He died four months before. I know. There's just something so, like, cool about it. I know. Philip died four months before the release of Blade Runner. Uh, which was based on his novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, hmm. And his legacy continues um, into, I mean, Blade Runner is still very much part of the culture. Um, a Scanner Darkly oh, yeah. was part of my early 20s bad yes. decisions. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. The Minority Report was based on his short story, Minority Report, um, Total Recall is also based on the short story We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. Um, Screamers in 1995 was based on a short story called Second Variety. A uh, Scanner Darkly, of course, um, which used the rotoscoping. That was why it was like such a big brew Yeah, kind of half cartoon, but not, yeah. you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah also in 2002 there was a movie called imposter which is based on um a short story of his by the same name uh next was based on his short story the golden man uh the adjustment bureau was based on his short story adjustment team such Um, a
1: good movie that movie does not get enough credit it was such a good movie
0: it's so good, and then apparently they did a remake of Total Recall, yeah. Which why? Colin
1: Farrell, Kate Beckinsale, and okay, Jessica was it Biel. good? Uh, I didn't really. I mean, it the at initial all.
0: Total Recall wasn't exactly good, it was just oh, come on, but
1: the, the Mars, the Mars, like just, just the effects, um, yeah.
0: I mean, for I... 1990, and it's it was called really Verhoeven. Good what are you gonna do you know schwarzenegger it, you know yeah it was, it was at the height of schwarzenegger too yeah
1: i i i liked the original uh, i didn't watch all of the second one i watched like the first 30 minutes of it and was like yeah, but yeah uh, i don't think it got great reviews
0: yeah it's just one of those like cheese classics that yeah. you just have to see absolutely um, and then there was Blade Runner 2049, which I didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to see. Um, that one but... was
1: like three hours long, I think. Was like, it? Yeah, it, it's really, really long. So I don't know many people that made it all the way through. Um,
0: but... I love it. Um, the Terminator series isn't in an exact, but it is like heavily influenced by um, his uh, second variety short story. So... um. And the Halcyon Company, who developed the Terminator franchise, acquired the first right of refusal to all of Philip K. Dick's works. So there could be more coming down the pike. Um, he's also had some stage and radio plays, comics, of course. Um, so his legacy is really amazing. Um, yeah. a, the French writer, Emmanuel Carrere, in 1993, published I Am Alive and You Are Dead, a journey into the mind of Philip K. Dick, and he describes him this way. The book you hold in your hands is a very peculiar book. I have tried to depict the life of Philip K. Dick from the inside, in other words, with the same freedom and empathy, indeed with the same truth with which he depicted his own characters. Dick has influenced writers including Jonathan Lethem and his classmate, Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, Somebody uh, called him the Shakespeare of science fiction, which I do think is incredibly apt.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yep. And another person described him as Thoreau plus the death of the American dream, which I also think is stunningly, stunningly accurate. <laughs> um, and then there's been a lot written too about how he kind of foresaw things way before like technologically speaking so yeah. this is from a specific um uh, uh, article that was on the bbc and it says i'm in passport control i can see my face on a screen the technology recognizes me and lets me through i scan code showing my vaccination status and recent COVID test results the machine is the machines assess the data regarding my health and microbiology Through the waiting room, people are staring into little screens. A strangely large number have the camera flipped and are capturing their own faces at different angles, as if they've forgotten what they look like. I open my laptop (laughs) and join in. I give my details to a company to enter the digital realm. Adverts tailored to my personality pop up. They know me better than I know myself. This is 2022, and 2022 is a Philip K. Dick novel. Yep. And I'm like, you know, it is... Absolutely. That's true. You know, and like a lot of people talk about, you know, the simulation theory and so on and so forth. And it's just like, okay, how (laughs) off base was he? Yeah. And then, you know, not to mention, you know, the man in the high tower, which is why I couldn't finish it. I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe when he was tripping balls on Darvon, he saw something we should not have seen. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) Yeah, probably.
0: But yeah, that was Philip K. Dick. I highly recommend, you know, he was, again, we had a discussion offline, you know, earlier this week about, I don't look for, you know, moral high ground when it comes to the people I enjoy and the people I, you know, engage with their art, but his art is interesting and his art definitely has a place in the American, you know, culture and science fiction at large and, you know... People who have kind of more woo woo religious views or spiritual views. And yeah, so he is, he's definitely been a force.
2: And you know, one thing I've always appreciated about him, I've always loved the titles of his work. Um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is such a cool phrase.
0: Yeah. I mean, just the title itself makes you like, I know.
2: Yeah. A scanner darkly, you're like, what? I mean, just, I don't know. I just think he's. Just that alone is always, I thought, well, been just fascinating. Yeah. And if
0: you think about it, like with Total Recall, which is a really interesting premise, regardless of how like crazy cheesy the movie was, the it kind of leads into like one of my favorite movies, which is The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah,
2: which I love is that like movie.
0: Being able to go in and like delete memories, and I was just yeah. like. I, that is such a concept, you know, and it's actually my favorite Jim Carrey movie. I like his, more than I like his funny stuff. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just always thought, I always thought he had a really good, those titles, man, they get you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) They're just, it's such an interesting, you know. Yeah. One day I will take hallucinogens and (laughs) read the Android's game of electric sheep, but Probably not until I get over my 40th. Then I'll start I'll start <laughs> my my hallucinogen journey. So,
2: may, are you saying I should start since I'm over forty now?
0: <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it as, as soon as Lori crosses that bridge. We're like, all right, we're going on mushroom vacation. Yeah,
2: all of us. Yeah, let's do that together. I don't want to try that by myself, which yeah, is no. me and McDuff. No,
0: or, or no, I can I'm,
1: be the I can be the sober one, the one that there so so you can sit, be our since, trip
0: sitter. Yes,
1: yeah, since I'm I'm still a few years away from forty. Uh, I'm exactly. The, you know, I can I trip can babysit sit. the two of you.
0: As long as I oh, don't Lord. do like that guy in Silence of the Lambs did and like tear off my face while on poppers, what we should oh. do. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah.
2: Please, no. Um, all right, okay. I, I, I think I go next, yes, and me. you know, Hannah, some of yours took place in Canada, and you know what? So does some of mine.
0: Hell yeah,
2: or all of mine actually. What a coincidence. So, um, I I love. True crime. And I love rhymes about a murder. I've covered a few of those before, but this one has a rhyme to it.
0: And rhymes. I
2: I know. And this, okay, this isn't a rhyme. It's a schoolyard song that kids in Canada used to sing. Maybe they still sing it. I don't know. So I don't know how it goes because I'm not Canadian. So I'm just going to read it. You cut off his legs, you cut off his arms, you cut off his head. How could you, Mrs. Dick? How could you, Mrs. Dick?
1: What? What?
2: Picture that's, it.
1: That's not as good as the Lizzie Borden one. Come on, I know. I know. Come
2: on, and man. and maybe it has a cute singy song vibe yeah, to it that it's... I just don't know. But uh, I love a little schoolyard rhyme. Uh, so anyway, picture it, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, Saturday, March sixteenth, nineteen forty-six. A group of kids were playing in the woods when they came across what they thought at first was the body of a pig.
1: (laughs) I thought you were going to say mannequin.
2: (laughs) Yep.
0: Right. But I will
2: say, gentle listeners, it is never the body of a pig.
0: Nope, no. It was the
2: naked torso of a man with two gunshot wounds in his chest. The kids realized it was human and ran for help. The torso was soon identified as that of a local man, a streetcar conductor named John Dick. John had a wife named Evelyn, and the police soon paid her a visit. So let's get to know Evelyn Dick. Let's. Let's. Evelyn McLean, as she was originally, that was her maiden name, was born October thirteenth, 1920. That makes her a Libra. I was a little surprised to learn that. Um, Based on what we get to know about her, I would have thought she was probably a Leo, but... Maybe she's got some Leo <laughs> rising somewhere. Who knows? We
0: got to see her uh, chart. Spencer. <laughs> Spencer. Yeah, we need Spencer for this. We need him.
2: <laughs> um, she was born in Ontario. She was the only child of Scottish immigrants. Her father, Donald, was an abusive alcoholic. Who wasn't back then? It seems like every time you read about some man in the 20s, they're an abusive alcoholic. Uh, he worked for the Hamilton Street Railway. So he's in the streetcar business, too. Her mother, Alexandra, was domineering and abusive. Again, it seems like a lot of these ladies back then were tough and kind of mean. So, what are you going to do? Evelyn was their only kid. Donald made okay money, but the McLeans wanted to live above their means, which is never a good idea. Um, You know, if you can't afford it, you don't get to have it. Sorry. That's, I mean, I hate that. And, 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 and. Welcome to life. That's capitalism, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, they sent Evelyn to a prestigious uh, private Catholic school, and if they ran out of money, all you know, Daddy Donald had to do was steal a little from the money at work, oh. which the fare was like a nickel, and their classmates of Evelyn paying for everything she ever bought with nickel. <laughs> Because he was just stealing right from the the fairs. So everything she bought, she paid for in nickels, which part of me is like, oh, bless your heart, honey. And the other part's like, I'm sorry, that's hilarious. (laughs)
1: Well, no, I mean, so back then, I mean, like nickels got you a lot. Like it was uh, a complete, again, complete side story here. But when uh, my dad and his sister were kids... Uh, my grandma would send them to the store to get something and said, you know, you can keep the pennies. And so they'd get like five cents back and they would ask for it in pennies instead of a nickel. So that's a change. When you so that change cute.
0: for a nickel. Yes. Yeah. So, so back
1: back then nickels got you. It, a lot. Did. So it did. it did.
2: It it's not as strange probably then as it is now to pay for Oh no, penny. not at all. It just <laughs> she never had more than that amount of Coinage. Like I she never it. had a dime, bless her heart, or whatever Nichols, Canadians use. Nickels only. Yeah. Um, Evelyn grew up to be quite a beauty. She was a really lovely lady. Um, but Alexandra encouraged her to use her good looks to land rich men or at least get expensive gifts from rich men.
0: Her yeah, nickels, baby.
2: Yeah. Her mom really pushed her to go target the older, wealthy men. Oh, so she know. was fancy. She was trying to be, they were not, <laughs> they were dirt poor, god bless them. But well, no, they I'm all... Reba's fancy. Reba fancy, oh, Reba's fancy, yes, kind of. Yeah. I don't know if she that she ever straight out did sex on work. the street sex work, yeah. but I mean. She was putting out and getting some goods in return, which I guess hey, technically is, but it, it's not either. I don't know. I'm not here to judge her. Listen, I'm we, not we, will get in, we will get into it, reasons we, why we should judge her later <laughs> that's on. I about
0: to say, at least, it's not at least sex for that. Work.
2: Yeah. Uh, she, she was like her parents. She wanted to show off what money she had, and she was trying so hard to climb the social rat- ladder, and she wanted to be like a part of the rich people scene. And they just, they didn't care about her. They knew she didn't have any money. They knew she was kind of trashy. Um, some people talked about Evelyn, too, because she always seemed to have nice things when she was a teenager. Like, she always had nice dresses, furs, jewelry. And everyone was like, how is she affording this stuff? Like, everyone kind of knew she was doing something, you know? Like, something's happening. They couldn't always land it. And then she would, when she did get some money from some of these guys, she would throw these big, lavish parties for her classmates and give out expensive gifts. And she was trying so hard to fit in. She wanted to be a part of society, and society was not having her. Yeah. Now, in July 1942, so Evelyn by this time was about 22 years old, she gave birth to a daughter. And, of course, in those days, unmarried mother sparked a lot of rumors. Evelyn claimed she was secretly married to a military man stationed overseas. Someone has a girlfriend in Canada, as <laughs> Ebony Q <laughs> says. Yeah. Like, no, there, there is no man. This man you never existed. Know him.
0: He goes to a different school. Yeah. Yes,
2: that's hundred percent what she's pulling here. She named the baby Heather. Heather was born with some disabilities, and Evelyn basically gave her to her own mother. It was like, here, here you go. Here's, here's Aww. my kid. Raise it. Uh, she soon became pregnant again, and that baby was stillborn. Ma'am, there, there are ways to to try to stop this. And there then in night measures, yeah, there are preventative measures. Uh, what? Oh God. What was best phrase? Wrap it for you. Tap it. Yes,
0: absolutely.
2: All right. In September, 1944, she gave birth to a boy. She named Peter, but she came home from the hospital without the baby saying that oh. she gave the baby up for adoption um, because her father didn't want another kid in the house.
0: Sweet pea, honey.
2: Like, I'm all for going out and and having fun and getting your pleasures on. But don't involve babies. Like, if if you don't want them, you don't want them. Take preventative measures and don't have them. Okay? There's no reason to drag these innocent kiddos into this. Um, Evelyn's parents, by the way, they rarely got along and they separated a lot, which, as I said earlier, a drunk, drunk, abusive guy. And then you have a domineering, abusive mom. I'm shocked they couldn't make it work. So they separate a lot of times. And in the summer of 1945, they were separated. And Alexandra, who is Evelyn's mother, and Evelyn and her daughter, Heather, are all living separately in an apartment. So. Out of the blue one day, Evelyn told her mother she was going to marry a man named John Dick. And Alexandra was like, what? Never heard of this guy. Who, who's this person you're marrying? So John Dick was a Russian immigrant who worked as a streetcar driver. Exact same position, same company as her dad. He was 39, 15 years older than Evelyn. His family had made some good money in the fruit canning business. And Evelyn thought John had his share of this fortune, but he didn't have like the money she thought he had. Uh, She, meanwhile, told him she was a war widow, that her husband was overseas and died. Again, my boyfriend who lives in Canada, Uh, the McLeans didn't like John Dick and they didn't attend the couple's small wedding on October 4th, 1945, which I mean, this marriage is sort of based on some lies here. So yeah, I don't have a whole lot of hope for it either.
0: And if my kid has already dropped off one baby at my house and I know that there's, one that didn't make it and one that's god knows where i'm going to be like yeah your decision making i'm yeah. suspect yes mm-hmm. um and you know supposedly
2: this makes for such a romantic uh wedding night supposedly their apartment that evelyn and her mother were sharing was so small there wasn't enough room for john dick to come live with them so on the night of the wedding, Evelyn went back home with her mother and, and John went home to his boarding house.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ.
2: Oh, my and God. There, I know y'all will be shocked when I say this, but the dicks did not enjoy married life. It just didn't that. work out for the dicks. So as soon as Evelyn realized John didn't have as much money as he said he had or whatever, she started. Either way, she started seeing other men. I'm not sure that that even had to do with mo- his money or like their. Sure, life thereof. she would have done that regardless. I think so too. She started seeing a guy named Bill Behosik, who was a Olympic class rower and steel worker. Now, let me okay. just say this: if we're going to compare Bill and John, I think they're both pretty handsome guys, and I'll have pictures and all this. I, I do think Bill's a little. A little hotter, but I will say John has those blue eyes that even in black and white photos, you can tell they must have been like stunningly blue. He's a handsome guy. Either way, whatever. Um, So by this point, oh, John went, John found out about this affair. He went to confront Bill. Bill's like, I didn't know she was married. She didn't say she was married. This does not stop Evelyn and Bill, though, of course. Um, Evelyn, by this point, purchased her own house, and she finally invited her husband to come live with her. Um, (laughs) So he moved in with Evelyn, her mother, and her daughter, but he never felt welcomed. Well, I'm shocked. Alexandra and John didn't get along, and he couldn't catch a break at work because he worked with her dad, who, to his face every day, called him a damn Russian. (laughs) So, like, John can't catch a break. Now, supposedly, at some point, John went to Donald and said, "Look, Evelyn's running around on me. I need you to help me kind of rein her in and get her to be a respectable wife." Huh. And Donald's
0: like, "Not Look. my problem.
2: <laughs> not my problem. I'm not you even going to try to take it her
0: off of my hands, dude." Right?
2: Yeah. So John, because Evelyn told him that Donald was always stealing from the till. John's like, hey, I know what you do here. I know that you steal, that you're embezzling money. And so Donald's like, cool, okay, I'm going to kill you then. (laughs) And John's like, what? And so he goes and reports that to the local police. A few months later, John Dick was reported missing. Uh Uh-oh. So let's go back to the torso for a second. The police worked with a pathologist named Dr. William Deadman (laughs) to determine (laughs) what happened to the torso
0: jesus christ dead man was or was it like <laughs> deadman
2: it was, it was like deadman but i won't lie i watched a documentary on this whole case and even they were like his name was deadman <laughs> the narrator was kind of oh, laughing boy. about it oh, uh, anyway um and this whole paragraph is wild i can't wait to just continue <laughs> with this so deadman determined that the bullet ones were super superficial and then an amateur had hacked up the body. There were no identifying parts because he had, it was nothing but a torso, no head, no hands. You can't use fingerprints, obviously all this. So they had to go with what was left to identify him. A relative had gone to the cops recently to report that his family member, John Dick had been missing. And they're like, Hey, well, there's this torso. And they're like, well, let me look at it. And he's like, that's my cousin, John Dick. And the reason I know is because this torso, like my cousin, John Dick, only had one ball.
0: Oh, 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 poor John Dick. I refuse to believe this story is real. I refuse.
2: I swear to God it is. Swear to God, y'all! I ran up on this on Murderpedia because who doesn't spend time scouring through Murderpedia? And I was like, "Well, this is the best thing I've ever read."
0: Who knows that about their cousin?
2: I know. I wondered that, too. and I don't know if they were cousin. They were. It just said relative, but I'm like, how do you know? I don't know anything about my cousin's private parts and i don't want to
0: i mean even my immediate family i couldn't tell you well unless it's like that you you know the uh while you were while you were
2: sleeping yes
1: did he tell you i didn't do that like he was involved in the loss of the ball maybe yes i love that movie they were were playing basketball and he had a pin in his pocket
2: (laughs) yep yep i (laughs) yeah i don't know if it was something like that But that's how they identified John Dick's body.
0: Or it's the story they tell every Christmas. (laughs) It could be
2: that, too. It could be that, too.
0: Um,
2: Now, on the last day that John was seen alive, he had told relatives he was going to meet with Evelyn. They had been estranged. Shocker. And they were supposed to meet up. So all of this, of course, leads the cops then to Evelyn's door. Her husband is dead. and, And the last time he was seen alive, he was supposed to meet with her. So they go to her house. And when they said, hey, we found your husband's torso, she was not upset and she didn't cry. She was just like, don't pin this on me. Like first thing out of her mouth, don't pin this on me, which I'm like, yeah, interesting reaction. No crying. No. Oh, my God, I'm shocked. No, just don't pin this on me. Um, so police took her into custody where they searched her home and then they went and searched her dad's home. This is where we find some interesting things in her home. In the attic, they found a suitcase. Inside the suitcase was a bunch of concrete. They broke the concrete open, and there was her baby, Peter, who she said she'd (gasps) given up for adoption.
0: Oh, Oh, you fucking bitch.
2: Yes. Um, And then, at the home where her father lived, they found bullet holes, guns, a saw, and a detective novel where a killer tries to hide his crime by burning a body in a furnace. And back at her house outside in, like, her little garden, they found charred bone fragments. So if you're wondering where his head, arms, and legs are, well, they were able to cut those up and burn those, but his torso was too big. Couldn't get it in there. Oh, my God. Yeah. When I said we would have plenty of reasons to judge Evelyn.
0: Evelyn, girl.
2: That baby ticks me. I'm like, how dare you? Why that would you kid. keep
0: that? Why Why would you
2: keep that? You oh, they had that. said they were, they had, she had plans to take it to a lake and dump it. And she just never did.
0: I oh, oh, You just get too busy. Just leave it at the hospital. What
2: the fuck is wrong with you? Adopt it out like you said you were going to. Exactly. Give that baby a life. Anyway. anyway. Oh, All right. So. Police discover in their investigation that Evelyn had borrowed and returned a car on the day of the murder. They go and they speak with this car's owner who says, well, yeah, she returned it to me with some damage. Um, it was a part of the car that had some damage on it. And then there was blood all over the front seat. And she said her daughter had cut herself and made a mess. That was her phrase.
0: What'd she do? Cut herself in the face?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So when they confronted Evelyn with this evidence, then she starts talking, and she gives a billion different confessions, and all of them are different than the next. But she does manage to implicate her boyfriend, Bill, with both the baby's murder and John's murder.
0: Jesus. Jesus.
2: Mm-hmm. So Evelyn, her parents, and Bill Behozek were all charged with the murder of John Dick, and Evelyn and Bill were charged with infanticide. John Don bleh, people, there are so many people in this story. Donald's embezzlement, her dad's embezzlement came to light, so he was charged with that as well. Now, as you can imagine, the torso murder, as it was called, hit the headlines. It became one of the most well-publicized and scandalous murders in Canadian history. Everyone wanted to see the beauty that killed her husband. Oh, Jesus. Uh, it, she was pretty, but she wasn't that... I mean, she's pretty, but well, she's not
0: like... We're going by Canadian standards here.
2: No, she really was. I do give her that. There's a couple of pictures. She's got, um like, dark eyes and dark hair. She just looks really stunning. Like, she does have a very like arresting like you just you're kind of oh okay yeah she's she's pretty um but i mean still i i just don't think you're that pretty when you're you've killed babies and husbands right no but because of that Evelyn's attorneys um ensured that she would be tried separately from everyone else hoping the jury wouldn't convict a beautiful young woman of murder and i will say that was a thing when you had all male juries a lot of women oh, yeah. walked for crimes that they committed cuz oh that pretty young girl wouldn't you know, commit this horrible crime.
0: Well, she's her mother able to do that.
2: Yeah, that too. Plus, her mother Alexandra decided to uh, testify for the crown against her daughter in return for immunity. Damn,
0: Alexandra!
2: This family is cold. They don't care about nobody.
0: Look, too- it does not. I will go on record: if I murder somebody, my mama is covering for my ass.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would think my mama would have done the same, but I don't know. She she might have turned on me if it was bad enough. <laughs>
0: like, I, well, first of all, if I murder somebody, just know they definitely had it coming because oh yeah, for skiders. sure. yeah. But my mama would be like, she was with me the whole time. Ma- yeah, they'd be like, Miss Hopper, we're going to put you in prison for perjury. She'd be like, Do it,
2: <laughs> do it. Your mama could withstand some prison. Your mama could withstand some torture. Your mama's a strong woman. She'd a-
0: yeah. My mom ain't sending
2: her baby to jail. No, that's true. Two days before her 26th birthday, Evelyn was convicted of John's murder and sentenced to hang. But her attorneys appealed. At her next trial, her lawyer argued that her father had killed John. That this was all her daddy's doing. And the jury believed it, not guilty. So she basically will not face any kind of penalty for John's murder. Now, in the trial for the baby Peter's murder, her lawyer brought in a psychiatrist and said that because Evelyn suffered such a traumatic childhood with these two as parents, she had the emotional maturity of a thirteen-year-old. And and me. part of me is like, I, I kind of wouldn't be surprised in some of just her the way she acted. But I'm like, you still a thirteen-year-old knows not to kill a baby, though.
0: Right. That's right. Insane. Is right. Wrong That's is cool. wrong. I get, like, trauma and all that, of course, valid, but no.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So she was found guilty of manslaughter for baby Peter and given life in prison. Okay. At a preliminary, this is, this is, this is, this is funny. At a preliminary trial for Peter's murder, the only evidence against her boyfriend, Bill Hosek, was that Evelyn said he was the father and that he killed the baby. Bill's lawyer said any man in town could have been Peter's father, which was true. (laughs) So when she's on on the stand, he's like, will you please name every man you've ever had sex with? And she starts out with, I'm not joking, y'all, the judge's son. (laughs) I kind of love her for that. That is a boss move. It is. And they cut her off there. They're like, no, no, no. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. (laughs) We get it. We're done. Yo, grandbaby. (laughs) She had a black book full of names, and it was everyone from every man, Joe, on the street to very rich and powerful men in the city. So,
0: Okay. I will give you that, Evelyn. I will give you that. I I do give you that. Like, (laughs) that,
2: I was like, girl, girl, I kind of love that. Anyway, um, her dad, meanwhile, was found guilty for being an accessory to murder and sentenced to five years in prison. He got an extra five years for the embezzlement. Meanwhile, her boyfriend Bill Behosic was cleared of all tra- of all charges. He, he the, the only crime he committed was just sleeping with this girl who was highly questionable he got Um, in over his head (laughs) yeah like i i truly doubt he was peter's father i doubt he was there this is Um, another
0: one of what hollywood crime scene calls a dangerous pussy
2: (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean you you lay down with dogs you get up with fleas and and he got up with some serious fleas i love that so you know and and i think her dad probably I think she conspired with her dad yeah. to make sure John Dick died. Well, I don't know that she pulled the trigger.
0: Right. Because I don't think but a small lady is going to be dismembering. Mm-mm. But she definitely was the engineer behind it.
2: Yeah. I don't think Donald would have done it on his own volition because I just don't think he would have had the initiative, the gumption, the whatever. I don't think uh, he yeah, cared he enough. Shit, yeah. But right, I think Evelyn wanted him I to.
0: Yeah, there are plenty of people I don't necessarily like that I'm not going to dismember.
2: I mean, he didn't like John, and he said, you know, I'm going to kill you if you tell about my embezzlement. But this was months before he went missing. So I think Evelyn right. was like, you don't like him anyway, so just do it for me. Right. Um. And and I, I will say, too nothing I read got super duper into this, but there were a lot of stories that were weird about how Evelyn and her mother slept in the same bed together, even as adults, I think to protect each other from the dad. Yeah. I think the dad was drunk a lot. And I think he was either trying to not necessarily rape his wife, but just go mess with her when she didn't want to be messed with, especially when he's drunk. And then I don't, I don't, nothing I ever read said he messed with the daughter, but I don't know why he wouldn't. I, I, I mean, no, no offense to this guy in a way, but <laughs> I just don't put a lot. I just don't think he's a good man. Right. Anyway, Evelyn Dick was paroled in 1958 after serving 11 years, Oh, uh, okay, 11 bitch. years of a life sentence. She assumed a new identity and disappeared. No one Smart. knows what happened to her or where she is now. She could she still did. be alive. Oh, she, 103, 104. Uh, it's possible. Well, it's not with likely. With all hard. of
1: that negative, evil energy,
2: you probably find. Right. Now, she was at least still alive in 1985 or something. I'll get okay. to that in a minute. She did live a, a little while longer. But I mean it's not possible. Oh yeah, it's right here, Sheena. She applied for and was granted a pardon in nineteen eighty five and her file was permanently sealed. Um, Do you and, know how
1: long nineteen eighty five was? I know, I know we feel like it was twenty years ago,
2: but it's, it's I know years but but let me tell you, some of the meanest people I know, there's it, it I say this all the time. I don't know why both my parents have died and some evil people, cough, cough trump, are still breathing
1: no you're right
0: because because only the good die young
2: yes there you go um there was a lady that knew she was part of the parole board she knew who she was she knew her new name and all that but she would not reveal um and this documentary was made in 2001 and she was talking about her like she was still around i don't know um but in the documentary I watched, this guy said she kind of had gained in Canada this Elvis-like status of, <laughs> oh, I saw her here. I saw her there. You know, like Elvis is still alive kind of stuff. I and I'm it. like, I, I don't want to lie, I kind of love that. Like, I love that Canadians are like, oh, watch out. That could be Evelyn Dick behind you there. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, love it. Or I, I saw her at the grocery store. She she you know had a 12-pack of beer, and she was ready to go home and party. At, I don't know. Bill Some Vahosik people. also changed his name, so I don't know where he is. Um, he he may be dead as well. He probably <laughs> is. Um, this torso murder spawned several books and movies and stuff. There was a TV movie called Torso, the Evelyn Dick story. That aired in 2002. I tried to find it. I thought, oh, this is on YouTube. No, it was not. There were little clips from it, and it looked so bad. <laughs>
1: You're telling me that the the Steve Brown movie is on YouTube, but this movie isn't.
2: It is not. I tried searching everywhere. Um, and then I thought this was hilarious. In 2014, a Hamilton artist created a line of Evelyn-inspired merchandise that said things like, love you to pieces, and oh. the fastest way to a man's heart is through his torso. Oh. Jesus Christ. And this ticked off local men's rights groups. Oh, of men's did. rights. Okay. Boo-hoo. <laughs> so sad. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, John Dick did nothing to deserve what happened to him. That man did nothing at all. I mean, he might have not been... Maybe he was a great guy. Maybe he was a piece of trash. The worst thing he ever did, like Bill, was he married into this crazy family and ended up getting murdered but he did he didn't deserve what happened to him i fully believe that but i'm right. sorry the fastest way to a man's heart is through his torso and love <laughs> you to pieces that that That's i want funny. those shirts and bags and tumblers or whatever the crap he made i i want all that stuff anyway let's talk about cemeteries So, John Dick was 39 when he was murdered. He is buried at the First Mennonite Church Cemetery in Beamsville, Ontario, Canada. His monument is very lovely, but I have to admit, um, I question some of it. In loving memory of John Dick, 1906-1946, till we meet again. Oh, I bet John Dick is waiting on the other side for for you, (laughs) Evelyn. Uh, Or Donald, or both. He's He's ready to go.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. The McLeans, Evelyn's parents, are buried at Woodland Cemetery in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Donald McLean died in 1955 at about the age of 77. And Alexandra McLean died in 1964 at about the age of 79. They share a really pretty small tombstone. It looks like a book and it has their names and it says at rest. It's, it's really pretty the way it's done. Mm-hmm. And Evelyn did not attend her parents' funerals. People were on the lookout because it's like an Elvis sighting. Right. But so if she has died, we do not know her new name. We do not know where she's buried. And because Bill changed his name again, I don't know where he's buried. Her daughter, Heather, I don't know. Heather grew up and had a daughter of her own. I don't know where either one of them are. And I didn't dig into that because in 2001, when this documentary was made, she didn't want to be interviewed. And
0: yeah. she's an innocent kid she in all this. Yeah,
2: She can't help what her mother did. And so I, I didn't want to push and see if I could find where she was buried or if she's still alive. She's probably still alive. Either way, I, I, I hope Heather and her daughter are living a wonderful life and that they got Very out well. of some of this abusive cyclical crap. Yeah. Um but I will say this it's been nearly 78 years since John Dick's murder and because no one was ever directly convicted of his murder it is still technically unsolved. And that Damn. is the torso murder the story of Evelyn and John Dick. <laughs> that is insane. Oh that is a wild ride. <laughs> I'm ta- the more I read and then I watched the docu- that documentary was pure gold. I was just like, what? 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 The whole time. I, it was, and I kept wanting to like text y'all and be like, y'all, listen to what I just read. And I couldn't do it because I'm like, no, yeah, no, no. Insane. Grab bag. We're going to be. Yeah. All right, Lou who wrap us
1: up. Okay. So, so, you know, I always have to, when we do grab bags, I always got to tell you what inspired it. So, yes. Um, we started off the episode talking about Snow Mageddon 24. And uh, one of the things I did when I would be, uh, cleaning the stalls and taking care of the horses and need to take a break. I would go up to the house and hang out with my dad and also avoid going home where everybody <laughs> was going star crazy. And he likes to watch documentaries on YouTube. Sheena, I mean.
0: Me just, too. Yeah. Me he too. Did the same thing.
1: And he was watching some World War II documentaries. And he, uh, one of them was about this dude that just that was really amazing and had a really cool story and i'm like ah i'll do that one i haven't done a a, an, a pilot in a while so that's yeah. what inspired today's story um, and i'm just going to hop right into it richard ira bong was the eldest <laughs> yes what a, what a last name i love it oh was boy the eldest of eight children born to carl a swedish immigrant and dora may He was born in Poplar, Wisconsin on September 24th, 1920, and he had an idyllic childhood. He played on his school's baseball, basketball, and hockey teams. He played the clarinet in the school band, sang in his church choir, and spent his free time hunting and fishing on his family's farm. Now, Calvin Coolidge, who was the president of the United States at the time, had a summer home in nearby Superior, and Dick became fascinated by watching the planes flying over the farm to deliver the president's mail. So that kind of sparked his interest in flying, and he also started to build model airplanes. He graduated from Superior Central High School in 1938 and attended Superior State Training Hold on a second. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) I skipped ahead. So he graduated from Superior Central High School in 1938 and then attended Superior State Teaching College, which is now the University of Wisconsin Superior, before joining the civilian pilot training program in 1940. The following year, Dick enlisted in the Army Air Corps. Aviation cadet program and completed his basic training in California before he headed to Phoenix, Arizona for advanced training in fighter planes. And while he was in Arizona, he trained under Captain Barry Goldwater, who would go on to become a United States Senator and the Republican Party's presidential nominee in 1964. Now, do y'all know who replaced Goldwater as Senator from Arizona?
2: John McCain. McCain.
1: That's like this, this. These people, these old men in power, need to, to like it. It needs to stop, man. Yes, I it know. does. The fact yeah. that yes, it does. replacement. I know. Me, but I will say, in the very limited reading I did on Goldwater, because I'm like that man's really familiar. He did like it was after he left office, but he did kind of open his mind and like
0: support. Yeah, because he knew, was and, bananas while he was. Yeah. So. Um,
1: so yeah. yeah. So he seemed to be a Republican that I could su- not support but not hate, basically.
0: Yeah. He not want to up- punch
1: in a back out. Right. He o- he yeah. was open minded, um, at least the-, the little bit I read. But anyway, so this this um Mr. Mr. Mr Mr Mr. Richard Dick Bong trained under him and Gold. yes, I know the name is hysterical. <laughs> Gold- Goldwater would later say, quote, he was a bright gunnery student. But the most important thing came from a P-30 Czech pilot who said Bong was the finest natural pilot he ever met. There was no way he could keep Bong from getting on his tail, even though he was flying an AT-6, a very slow airplane. So uh, Bong was flying the slow plane, but he was able to catch this other pilot, even though the plane he was in was very slow. Just call him
0: Quick Dick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here all week, people. Yes,
1: he earned his pilot's wings on January 19th, 1942, and he began his military career as a second lieutenant, working as a gunnery pilot at Luke Field in Arizona until May of 1942. He was then transferred to Hamilton Hamilton Field, California, where he flew the plane that would become synonymous with his name, the Lockheed P-38 Lightning. Now, a little background on the P-38s. This was kind of a uh, first-of-its-kind warplane as the guns were stored in the nose. Uh, Previously, uh, fighter planes would have their guns kind of spread out throughout the the plane. And this allowed uh, all of the weapons to kind of converge on one point. So, you know, you're looking at your enemy and you're able to just (laughs) strike from the nose Uh of the plane. So less than a month after setting foot in his first P-38, he was grounded for breaking flying rules by allegedly buzzing the top of the home of a pilot who had recently married. Oh, my. He was also thought to be one of a group of pilots who had allegedly looped the Golden Gate Bridge, blew down Market Street, and blew the clothes off of an Oakland woman's clothesline. (laughs) <laughs> so he's having, having fun, fun. yeah he, he denied the allegations but he was still reprimanded by his commanding officer general george c Kinney. In his written account of the war which was published in 1949 Kinney would recall telling him quote if you didn't want to fly down market street i wouldn't have you in my air force but you are not to do it anymore and i mean what i say <laughs> i love it Yes. So Dick began his first tour of duty in New Guinea in September of 1942, flying, of course, the P 38. By January of 1943, he would earn the title of ace, which is traditionally given to a pilot who is credited with shooting down at least five enemy aircraft. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, not long before he gets this ace title, he quickly rose through the ranks. He became a first lieutenant in April. Uh, Then his mission came on July 26, 1943, where he shot down four enemy aircraft before the end of the day and landed back on landed back at the base on one engine as the other one had been damaged by enemy fire.
2: Well, all right.
1: okay, and this I love this part. This is like man after my own part. The Japanese were known to conduct what was called harassment bombing. Which is basically just an attempt to fuck with the Americans and disrupt their sleep cycle and demoralize them. Uh, So they would just kind of do bombings at random times. And there were protocols in place. You know, these alarms go off. We hear the bombs. You get to the trenches. You know, there's. You got to do this. But uh, Bong slept through it. He (laughs) would say, quote. They can't hit anything anyway. I'm staying in bed sleeping. <laughs> A man after my own heart.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he was promoted to captain in August, and then he got to go home on leave in November, so he was home for the holidays. While back at home, he was invited to serve as the MC of his alma mater's homecoming event. And while at the dance, he met Marjorie Vattendahl, who was the outgoing homecoming queen Uh, who was there to crown her successor. And she also taught art at the college. Uh, He was smitten with her. Um, Apparently, he had all the, he had these note cards, you know, with information on each of the people he was to introduce. And hers just said, just call me Marge. You're going to have so many names to know tonight. And he just, and the pair were inseparable until he was called back to duty in January of 1944. Upon his return, he was given a new P-38 And while his fellow pilots were painting risque pinups on the side of their planes, he decided (laughs) he was going to name his plane Marge after his sweetheart. Oh, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, yes. This is awesome, y'all. He wrote to her and asked for her to send her most recent photo. And she obliged and sent him a copy of her college graduation photo. And he worked with the Army Mapping Department and had copies made of the picture, which he glued to the front of his plane. So, and if it got damaged in battle or started weathering off, he would just replace it with a new one. Aww. Um A profile of Bob was featured in an issue of Stars and Stripes magazine and included an image of him in his cockpit with Marge. And when the magazine published, the real Marge was inundated with calls from media asking what she thought about the plane being named after her, her photo being just plastered on the side of it. Uh, and she was actually okay with it, but in a Aww. letter to his mom, Dick wrote, "quote I hope Marge is not mad, but I think she looks a heck of a lot better than what these guys are painting on their planes."
2: Oh, so
1: and it is a very classy picture. You'll you'll see it in the the sh- in the photos. I've got one of the the plane.
0: Oh yeah, because some of the pinups on those planes, I was like, that those are nipples on yep, the side of that yep. plane. <laughs> very, very
1: very classy lady. Um, so the P-38 would gain worldwide fame as Marge, and uh, Bong would later joke that she was, quote, the most shot-after girl in the South Pacific. <laughs> I love it. In fact, many model versions of the P uh, Lockheed P-38 still include a small version of Marge's photo that when you're putting it together, you you put the photo on the side of the plane. Because Aww. that is how... How well known it was. So that's, that's sweet. I'm sure like that particular version has been discontinued and it's like a antique. Oh, yeah. But one, one of the versions of the model P38 had the, the picture with it.
0: I hope they still like include it in like updated versions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just I'm a not little sure. sweet. Yeah. yeah.
1: It, it was, it was so sweet. It's going to y'all. Your hearts are going to break and it's just oh, so Lord. sweet. Okay. So his second tour was successful within the first four months of his return. He surba- surpassed Eddie Rickenbacker's American victory of 26 victories from World War One when he earned his 26th and 27th victories on April 12th. So the basically the most successful pilot of World War II. Okay. And now of World War One and Two. Um, hmm. he was soon promoted to major and was dispatched to the United States where he was granted a second leave. And he used his time back in the states to help sell war bonds and go on a 15 state promotional tour before returning for his third and final tour that September. Um, uh, where he was now serving as an instructor. He was given permission to fly missions because he was like, Yeah, I'm not going to not go on missions, but he was right, instructed, yeah. do not seek combat. Oh, now whether he obeyed that or not by December. <laughs> He was credited with 40 victories, making him the top American fighter ace of World War II and earning him the nickname Ace of Aces. Nice. And at this point, his commanding officer, General Kinney, decided it was too risky to keep him in service because if Bong were to be killed in action, morale would just be at an all-time low. He's like, "We, we need to be smart. Let's send him home. And prior to his discharge... Dick was presented with the Congressional Medal of Honor by General Douglas MacArthur. And in total, Bong flew over 200 combat missions over his three tours of duty. Oh, wow. Dick returned home in January 1945 and quickly began planning his life with Marge. They got married on February 10th, 1945 at the Concordia Lutheran Church in Superior. Superior. (laughs) Mm Superior. Superior. With an estimated 1,200 guests and media in attendance. After their wedding, the couple settled in Burbank, California, where Dick worked as a test pilot for the new P-80 shooting star jet, which was like the first fighter jet to be developed. Um, On August 6, 1945, it was a day he was off. He was supposed to go golfing, but he stopped by the base anyway. And he was asked, hey, do you want to replace this other pilot? Didn't show up or didn't Aww. make it in. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, no one knows for sure what happened, whether it was a pilot error or a malfunction of the engine. But shortly after takeoff, the plane just appeared to quit. Uh-oh. Observers on the ground would later recall seeing black puffs of smoke coming from the engine. Mm-hmm. And there, there's speculation. So this had, I think it was called like the I-16 fuel pump. And another pilot had said, Oh, you know, a couple of weeks before this happened, Dick mentioned to me that he had forgotten to turn on this fuel pump. So that led people to speculate, Oh, he forgot to turn on the fuel pump. But in the, if he had forgotten in the previous flight, that plane didn't crash. And his family said, if he made an error like that, he would not make it again. That would, he would not allow the plane again. So. No matter what the issue was, he knew he was in trouble. He was had just taken off, and he was flying over a residential area. And rather than bail out for, and survive for his safety, mm-hmm. he didn't want to risk the deaths of innocent people. Aww. He stayed with the plane and tried to like guide it as it was crashing to a nearby field. And once he had cleared the residential area, he did attempt to bail from the plane, but sadly, he was too low, and his parachute did not deploy. Oh, so he was killed in the crash. he was twenty four years old.
2: Oh my God twenty four
1: and Christ. sadly, Marge, who was at their apartment in Burbank, found out about his death over the radio.
0: Oh
2: no, Sweet
0: baby,
1: yeah. Now, you would think the death of an American hero as successful as Bong would be something that would just be like top front of the page, top of the fold news. Right. And while his death was a top headline, it was overtaken by most outlets because on the very day he died, the Enola Gay dropped the first atomic bomb. Oh, on right, restaurant. right. So it's fucking coincidence. If you yeah. look at headlines... From that, the next day, it's all the very top one is atomic bomb, but then like a subhead is you know pilot, you know, right? pilot dies. Um, but yeah, so so I think that's why today we don't hear about him much. Like Enola Gay and Hiroshima, we all learned that in school, but I never learned knew
0: who this guy was.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: That's like people say, you know, somebody on September tenth, two thousand one, probably did something really fucking cool, and yeah
2: or
1: oh, or you know the people there there's that uh, case of the woman who went missing on September 11th who yes. probably was murdered and it's never going to be yeah 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 um, so there was a funeral service at the very same church he and marge had been married at just a few months earlier Aww. um and apparently like the funeral procession was 20 miles long oh
2: wow or, or
1: 20 it took 20 miles to get to wherever uh his uh final resting place was and there were people lining the streets as he was taken to poplar cemetery where he was laid to rest in his family's family plot um the plot itself is marked by a large headstone that's inscribed with the last name bong and each family member has their own stone marking their grave
0: he Mm. has
1: two flat headstones the first Mm -hmm. uh granite slab marks or or notes his rank of major in the fifth air force and his nickname america's ace of aces and bless its heart i know it's not a it's an inanimate object but it needs sheena to clean it it is the pictures (laughs) i found it is it needs a good cleaning it's rough yeah yeah the second marble marker appears to be similar to what you would find in like a veteran cemetery it's that mm -hmm. light colored with recognizing his rank or of service and military recognition one of my
0: uncles like his head's the one that hit the head is like the family one. Mm-hmm. And then they put his military one at the foot. Yeah, um, And it recognized that in
1: addition to the Medal of Honor, he was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross and Silver Star. Aww. In the 1950s, the Air Force made plans to build a new base south of Milwaukee. And construction began, uh, had begun, and they were going to name it after him. It was going to be the, you know, named after Richard I Bong, uh, The location, after the plans to build it were canceled, it became a park that is now known as the Richard Bong State Recreation Area. The park features That's trails cool. for bikes, ATVs, horses, and even dog sledding. Oh, Ohio, cool. The park does experience frequent theft of its highway exit sign, which reads, I
0: imagine. Bong Recreation Area Exit 348. <laughs> Look, I ain't even going to hate because I would do it. (laughs) Yeah. That's like the city in, on 49, the city is called Maxie and they have to make the (laughs) sign itty bitty because people kept writing pad after it.
1: Well, (laughs) well, Or it's like in, in Jackson, Mississippi, high street. They always getting their, their, um, signs taken. So what happened to Marge? She was just 21
2: when
0: her husband died.
1: But she was determined to make it on her own, like Mary Tyler Moore.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, She became a model and married twice. uh, The second time to publisher Murray Drucker. uh, And she met him because she was modeling for one of his magazines. Um, Marge would become well-known in the publishing community in her own right, serving as the editor and publisher of the Boxer Review a magazine for owners and breeders of boxer dogs. Huh. <laughs> it was like a very successful magazine. She and Murray had two daughters, Karen and Christina. Um and uh they were married until his death in 1991, so I mean she seemed to to kind of yeah. go on with her life. And she didn't talk about her past at all until sometime in the eighties when she was contacted by a member of the Bong family and invited to attend the dedication of the Richard I. Bong Memorial Bridge. Um, she would go on to speak at aviation and veterans conventions and spent her later years campaigning to build The Richard I. Bong World War II Heritage Center, which serves as a memorial to Dick, as well as the countless other men and women who contributed to the war effort. And the big thing with that was she said he would not want, because they were going to like do this big naming thing, and she said he would not be comfortable with that. He was not a braggart. He was not egotistical. We yeah. want this to recognize not just him, but all of the people who made an impact during this time, especially the women and what they were doing back home. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, really, really cool lady. She sadly was diagnosed with breast cancer um, that did become metastatic. Um, she sold her California home and moved to the Bong family farm in Poplar, Wisconsin. And she passed away on September 27th, 2003, at the age of 79. She Aww. was cremated. And I don't know what her family thinks of this, but she her ashes were buried next to
0: Dick's in Poplar Aww.
2: Cemetery.
1: So, I love that. I mean,
0: your yeah. first love, you know? It's, yeah. It's,
1: it's tough, but it's like, oh, poor... But I don't, like, I, I didn't really look up anything about her husband, so maybe I he mean, was creepy. I mean, that cre- might
0: have been her agreement with him, is like, look, you know, I'm going to spend my life with you and such, but I'm going to spend eternity with Richard. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: that is the story of Major Dick Bong, who had a hell yeah. of a name, hell of a name, and Looks yeah. like he was about 40. I don't know what it is about, like, servicemen. They, just- they look old oh, yeah. as fuck. Man. But yeah, it's so I've got some really sweet photos from. I think I've got a wedding photo, a picture of him with Marge the plane. And, uh, and so yeah, you know, those classic 1940s photos. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, know. no, I was like, I had no idea who this dude was. So I learned, yeah. learned quite a bit about, uh, that is cool. aviation. And I watched, uh, or I listened to a presentation that was done during COVID. Um, At some like I think it was the P thirty eight Museum or something did a yeah and this expert on military planes and Richard Bong gave this presentation and so I was just watching it on on YouTube and I was like
0: oh COVID (laughs) Remember twenty (laughs) twenty yeah God don't I
2: ever anyway yeah and Hannah do you have one last story for us I
0: have one last okay so this kind of breaks our our format just a tiny bit because I know where he's buried but I don't have a photo of his gravestone um and because it was a fairly recent uh thing uh death back in October but I thought he was a cool dude so we're gonna talk about him yeah uh Richard Marvin Buckus no <laughs> as. <laughs> Dick Butkus, oh, is hard. <laughs> yes, was a linebacker, sports commentator, and actor. We'll get into his acting credits, which were epic. Um, he played for the Chicago Bears his entire career, uh, from 1965 to 1973. He was invited to eight Pro Bowls, was named a first-team All-Pro six times, and was Defensive Player of the Year twice. Um, he was renowned as a really great tackler, and he is regarded as one of the greatest and most intimidating linebackers in football history. So let's talk about him. Butkus, Dick Butkus, <laughs> I just love saying it, uh, was born in Chicago, the youngest of eight children and the first to be born in a hospital. Oh, uh, He was born December 9th, 1942. Uh, he was a very large baby, weighing 13 pounds at birth. Nope. Nope. Absolutely not. No. Lori, your babies were big. Were any of them close to 13? Uh, no, Bonnie was 11'4". Oh. Still poor, the biggest.
1: Well, she was She was a C-section. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, both of them were Cs. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you got
0: spared that horror.
1: Bon- but Bonnie yeah. was the largest baby my uh, OB ever delivered or up until now has ever delivered.
0: (laughs) Damn. All right. So his father, John, was a Lithuanian immigrant who went through Ellis Island and only spoke broken English, but was an electrician and worked for the Pullman Standard Railroad Manufacturing Company. His mother, Emma, worked 50 hours a week at a laundry. He grew up in the Roseland neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, and he was a fan of the Chicago Cardinals who were – Part of the nfl before they became the bears and they played at comiskey park his older brother ron had played football for three colleges and tried out for the cardinals before quitting due to a bad knee uh starting at age 15 Buckus worked with his four brothers as a mover if you got a big husky boy you're gonna have him moving shit. he played high school as he played high school football as a fullback linebacker punter and place kicker for coach bernie o'brien i'm sure football players Know who that is? Um At what's called Chicago Vocational High School, he averaged five yards per carry as a fullback. Again, is that good? Is that bad? I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, <laughs> a preferred playing linebacker, where he made seventy percent of his team's tackles. So I'm going to call that good.
2: Yeah. Uh, on the sounds year, good.
0: The, right. On the first his first year on the varsity team, the football team only surrendered fifty five points in eight games, which I know for a fact is good. <laughs> <laughs> In 1959, he was the first junior to be honored by the Chicago Sun-Times as the high school football player of the year. Uh, Injuries limited his play as a senior, but he was still heavily recruited by colleges to play football. Um, He was also the starting catcher on the Chicago Park District baseball team known as the (laughs) Sun-Dodgers. And... So yeah, he was a multi-sport guy. So he went to the University of Illinois and he played center and linebacker from 1962 through 64 for the Fighting Illini, which I do not know what that means, but I'm <laughs> for them. Um, he initially wanted to play for Notre Dame because all Midwestern big boys want to go play for Notre Dame. Um, however, he was married at the time, and the team didn't like married players. Huh? Okay. I'm like, you you guys are Catholic. He could be out. Yeah. In a row. Yeah, oh, do what you got to do. Um, in his first year on the varsity team, he was named to the 1962 All Big Ten Conference football team. Um, and he was the second team center by the United Press International. Um, in 1963, Illinois had an 8-1-1 record and defeated Washington in the 1964 Rose Bowl. I love the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, He was the MVP for the season and awarded the Chicago Tribune to silver football as the Big Ten's most valuable player. He was the unanimous choice as center for the 1963 football All-American team and earned first team honors from all selectors. Um, He was co-captain in 1964, along with George Donnelly. Um, He was called Lineman of the Year for 64. He was Player of the Year by the American Football Coaches Association, and he was on the 1964 All-American team. He finished sixth in the Heisman Trophy balloting in 63 and third in 64. Rare results for a lineman and a defensive player. Usually it's, it's offensive and quarterbacks getting those. Uh, according to university statistics he completed his college career with 374 tackles 97 145 and 132 that is a fuck ton of tackling <laughs> buckus was a third overall selection in the 1965 nfl draft where he was taken by his hometown team the bears um And he was also in the second round of the AFL draft by the Denver Broncos of the American Football League. So this is before they came together to become one big thing. Um, After several days of recruiting by both the teams and the leagues, he signed with the Bears, which was viewed as a major victory for the NFL. Um, Although the Bears offered him less money, he wanted to play for his hometown team and coach George Hollis. His rookie contract was worth was worth two hundred thousand dollars, which we are going to quickly Google and see how much that is in today's money. <laughs> Hang on, play the chat. I bet it's a lot. Um, two hundred thousand dollars is a lot in today's money. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And
2: talk amongst yourselves.
0: do 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 do. One point nine six six million.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <Almost laughs> that's that's pretty impressive. Dollars. Yeah,
0: I'll take it. I ain't turning yeah. that shit down. Yeah. Um. So from sixty-five to seventy, he was he made an immediate impact. Um, they called him a ball hawk. Which okay. <laughs> um, he was named NFL Defensive Player of the Week. Um, the week of November twenty-eighth against the New York Giants. Um, he finished third in balloting for AP's Rookie of the Year, um, and said Buckus certainly would have won if there was a separate award for defenders. He was named a first-team All-Pro by the AP and was invited to his first of straight eight straight Pro Bowls. Um, so he did extremely, extremely well. Buckus scored the first points of career of his career in 1969 when he tackled Steelers quarterback Dick Shiner. in the end zone for a safety on November 9th. He also recorded 25 tackles in the game and for his efforts was awarded NFL defensive player of the week. Um, his contracted salary went from $50,000 per year to 80,000 to a hundred thousand. Fancy. He's doing quite well. Um, he did have to go undergo a preventative surgery in 1971. um, But he, you know, he kind of kept it, he kept it moving and he kept winning awards in 1971. He recorded 117 tackles, which seems like a lot. Seems like a lot. Football people, (laughs) weigh in. Let us know. Buckus sparked controversy in 1972 with the release of Stop Action, a memoir describing the final week of the 1971 season. The Bears had lost their final five games in 1971, and Buckus used the memoir as an outlet for his frustrations and grievances. In particular, he harshly criticized the Detroit Lions organization, said, I think they are a lot of jerks, from the owner, the general manager, the coach, on down. If we oh, my. For, if we were voting for a jerk team or organization, they'd have my vote all the way. <laughs> I love jerk it when they team. get petty. Yeah. After the game, Lions linebacker Mike Lucci, whom Buckus had labeled a crybaby, denied. Oh, Okay. Uh, because the Lions would then go on to beat them thirty-eight to twenty-four. So <laughs> he, that's um, funny. Mike Lucci denied that the book had any bearing on the game's outcome, but told reporters Buckus should just keep his mouth shut and play football. Uh, Buckus, who is notoriously surly with reporters, of course his name is Dick Buckus. Also not denied any connection and accused the media of sensationalism. Bears team al- teammate Gail Sayers said he did not like the book, feeling Buckus was above name calling. Um, early in the, so we're going on to 1973, but he did get invited to the Pro Bowl that year. So I guess who wins this one, um, early in the first <laughs> quarter against the Houston Oilers in 1973, but Buckis pounced on a fumble in the end zone for the only touchdown of his career. Oh,
2: <laughs> bless Houston his heart.
0: Time, I love it. And remember when the Houston Oilers were a thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Um, for the kids playing at home, they moved to Memphis. Um, then they moved to Nashville and became, were they the Titans? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, okay. Sh- then Houston got the Texans back. Um, so, yes. And the Colts used to be in Baltimore. It's a whole thing. Um, Buckus pounced on a fumble, yada, yada. Houston tied in. Mike Elston accused Buckus of intimidating officials, saying he grabbed the ball and started yelling touchdown, touchdown, after which the officials looked at each other, shrugged their shoulders, and called it a touchdown. You know what? <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, his season was cut short after nine games by a lingering knee injury, which he had been playing through for years. Don't do that. You're going to mess yourself. Yeah. Um, but was further aggravated after it gave out in week five against the Atlanta Falcons. Prior to the 1974 season, an orthopedic surgeon told him, I don't know how a man in your shape can play football or why you would even want to. The injury <laughs> ultimately forced him re- to retire in May 1974 at the age of 31. <laughs> We're not, we're not going to let that affect us in any way. However, his retirement did not come without some shenanigans. Uh, Buckkiss's retirement came with four years remaining on a five-year contract with the Bears, which was to pay him $115,000 per year through 1977. It came with a no-cut, no-trade clause and was playable even if surgery was needed. The contract also promised necessary medical and hospital care, which according to Buckkiss, the Bears had neglected to provide him. Causing irreparable damage to his knee, the Bears then told him he would not be paid if he could not play. Buckus filed suit against the Bears team doctor in May of 1974, asking for six hundred thousand in compensatory damages and a million in punitive. It was eventually settled out of court, with the Bears when the Bears agreed to pay Buckus the full value of his contract. The episode caused a rift between Buckus and Bears owner George Hallis, and the two did not speak to each other for five years. I'm shocked. Standing six foot three inches and weighing 245 pounds, Butkus was a large linebacker for the era, era in which he played. The size was a common trait in his family. Of course, his dad's Lithuanian. Those people are giants. <laughs> As all four of his brothers and his father stood over six feet tall and weighed more than 200 pounds. He was also diligent with his conditioning. In high school, he would push a car up and down the street to strengthen his legs. And in college, I do that every day. (laughs) I just, I just, I can't. And in college, he developed a routine of running at trees and dodging them to emulate avoiding blockers. This would lead with me being smashed into the side of a tree. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Despite his size, he also had the speed and agility to make tackles from sideline to sideline and cover tight ends and running backs. Deacon Jones, Pro Football Hall of Fame defensive end, said, Dick was an animal. I called him a maniac, a stone maniac. He was a well-conditioned animal, and every time he hit you, he tried to put you in the cemetery, not the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Hall of Famer Bill George, who Buckus had succeeded as linebacker, said, the first time I saw Buckus, I started packing my gear. I knew my bare days were numbered. There was no way this guy wasn't going to be great. Consistently cited as the football's meanest, toughest, and most feared players, Buckus was renowned, was renowned for his intimidating profile and start of play. He was known to snarl at the opposition prior to plays. <laughs> Does anyone remember Little Giants when they put the Alka-Seltzer? Yes, yes the <laughs> I loved it. I love it. Quarterbacks would complain of Buckus biting them in pileups. <laughs> <laughs> I what? see here. it. Prove it. <laughs> Lions tight end Charlie Sanders recalled Butkins poking him in the eyes with his Fingers through his face mask He once Intercepted a pass from Minnesota Vikings quarterback Frank Tarkenton Who did uh, fucking infomercials In my day near the goal line And instead of taking the ball into the end zone For an easy easy touchdown He took aim at Tarkenton to run him over Okay This is some straight water boy shit (laughs) (laughs) When asked by a reporter if he was as mean as the rumor suggested, Buckis replied, I would never I wouldn't ever go out to hurt anybody deliberately unless it was, you know, important, like a league game or something. <laughs> he played angry, often manufacturing things to make him mad because he felt it gave him a competitive edge. Now who among Try. us has pissed themselves off before they've done anything? True, true. <laughs> but like this is not good
2: for for a lot of things, dude. Like this is how you give yourself a heart attack or something. Like
0: we're going to get there. Oh,
2: okay, okay. I forgot. Yeah, this is Cemetery Road. He yeah. must be dead. Yes. Yeah,
0: yes. After the Bears lost to the Lions in their final match in their first matchup in 1969, Lions rookie running back Alti Taylor told reporters that Buckus was overrated. The next time the teams played that season, buckets are spotted by chasing Taylor out of bounds after a play and causing him to jump into the stands at Wrigley Fields. Oh my God! <laughs> like, bitch, what? I love this level of petty. I truly say it truly to my face, do. bitch. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, like our dear Meg the stallion just said. uh, I don't know what the problem is, but I guarantee you don't want me to start. <laughs> <laughs> Buckus became most noted for his tackling ability and the frosty with which he tackled opponents. He was named the most feared tackler of all time by the NFL Network in 2009. Once during football practice, he hit a metal football sled so hard he crumpled it and left a piece of it dangling off. Uh, Tackling wasn't good enough, recalled former Bears defensive end Ed Obradovich. Just to hit people wasn't good enough. He loved to crush people. (laughs) (laughs) Love this man. Butkus is credited with 1,020 tackles in his NFL career. He recovered 27 fumbles, an NFL record at the time of his retirement. One of his greatest strengths was his ability to rip the ball from the ball carrier's hands. Although not an official statistic at the time, it has been noted that Buckus would certainly be one of the all-time leaders in forced fumbles. I'm sorry if a big man hits me and tries to take that. Go ahead. It's all yours, boo. Yeah. In spite of all he could do on defense, Buckus could not turn the Bears into winners. During his time there, the team only won forty-eight games, lost seventy-four, and tied four. Hey, look, he's one man. He's doing his best. Yeah, yeah. You can only do so he much, right? And from the sounds of it, he's doing quite a lot. Um, Illinois is erected a statue in twenty seventeen at the University of Illinois campus. Um, he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1979, his first year of eligibility. So, very good. The Hall's voters also named him to the 1960s all-decade team and the 1970s all-decade team, deeming him one of the best players of both uh decades. On Halloween 1994, the Bears retired his number 151, his number 51 jersey along with Sayers' number 40 jersey at Soldier Field. In 2004, a sculpture featuring Buckus, Hollis, and seven other former Bears greats was unveiled at Soldier Field. Walter Payton better be among them. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, after um, hang on. Oh, also, Sylvester Stallone named his pet bull mastiff Buckus after the dog ate a security blanket. <laughs> <laughs> the dog later starred alongside Stallone in the Rocky film series. <laughs> Oh, And speaking of film and television, after his career as a player, Butkus became a celebrity endorser, broadcaster, and actor. He appeared in The Longest Yard, the 1974 version, Cry Onion, Mother Jugs and Speed, which was in 1976, <laughs> and I need to look that up, Gus, Superdome, Cracking Up, Johnny Dangerously, Hamburger, the motion picture, The Step for Children, Spontaneous Combustion, which I believe I have seen, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, (laughs) Necessary Roughness in 1991, and Any Given Sunday in 1999, which is an amazing, amazing movie. (laughs) Um, He was a regular character on TV shows Blue Thunder, My Two Dads, MacGyver, and Hangtime. He was also a guest on Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) He portrayed himself in the critically acclaimed TV miniseries, Brian Song and the 2002 comedy Teddy Bear's Picnic uh he portrayed officer Alvin Dimsky in Cass Malloy the 1982 pilot for that would later become the situation comedy She's the Ser- Sheriff and he would go on to make cameo appearances in mm-hmm. that um he endorsed antifreeze um he they were in a Super Bowl commercial in 1970. This is Super Bowl four. That's how far back this is. The ad marked the first highly successful celebrity endorsement in Super Bowl advertising, um, which is why the Mannings have retired so well. <laughs> yeah. Throughout the 1970s and early 80s, he appeared alongside former NFL star and Blue Thunder co-star Bubba Smith um, <laughs> in a series of ads for Miller Lite, which were highly acclaimed. In 1985, he was a pitchman for Echo Tools, a producer of outdoor power equipment, and he promoted the Quick Cook Grill, a grill using newspaper as its main fuel. He was also a uh, play-by-play and a color analyst for the um, Chicago Bears, of course. Um, And in 2005, as part of an ESPN reality series, Bound for Glory, he served as a head coach of the Montour High School in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. He coached the team to a one six record before departing with two games remaining in the season. Saying, "I did my shit." Um, (laughs) He buried his high school sweetheart while they were still while they were students, or Helen Essenberg in nineteen sixty three while they were students at the University of Illinois. Um, After his retirement, he lived in Florida and then Malibu, California, where he did indeed pass away. Uh, Buckus had three children: Ricky, Matt, and Nikki. Matt played for the USC Trojans as a defensive lineman. Buckus's nephew, Luke Buckus, has been an assistant coach in the NFL for the Bears, the Seahawks, and the Jaguars. And he also coached for the University of Illinois and is an offensive line coach for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, one of his grandsons plays volleyball for UCLA.
2: Volleyball.
0: <laughs> I love it. In 2001, he underwent quintuple bypass surgery. Oh, my. <laughs> so all those times getting himself mad might not have been great.
2: No, no. Um
0: after the surgery, he co-authored a book titled The O.C. Cure for Heart Disease with Lawrence J. Santora, the doctor who performed the procedure. I'm going to assume it's a diet book. Buckus died in his sleep at his home in Malibu on October 5th, 2023 at the age of 80. The cause of death was a stroke with atrial fibrillation, atherosclerosis, and hypercholesterolemia hypocholestera- listed as underlying causes. His death came hours before the Bears were scheduled to play a Thursday night game against the Washington Commanders. Commanders hosted a moment of silence prior to the game. He did get involved in a lot of philanthropy in his life. He had the Butkus Foundation. Um, They have the Butkus Award, which began in 1985 and is one of the elite individual honors in football. The Buckus Foundation takes stewardship of the award, recognizing athletic achievement and service to the community while honoring the nation's best high school, college, and professional linebackers. An independent selection of committee is composed of 51 people, including professional college and high school scouts and sports journalism. The Duckus Center for Cardiovascular Wellness is a nonprofit organization in Orange County, California, with a cardiac screening program to help people who are at risk of heart disease and sudden cardiac death. He also had the I play clean campaign, which is the issue of steroids among high school athletes. The campaign educates and encourages high school athletes to train and eat well without resorting to illegal steroids and performance enhancing products. Dick Buckus long may he live and reign is buried in the St. Casimir Catholic cemetery in Chicago, Illinois. Bless his heart. Yep, we love it. We love to see it. He sounds fun. Yes, he lived a good long life. Yeah, he did. He did, and it was interesting at the very least. I want Sebastian Stallone to name a dog after me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and um, Hannah, do you want to? Do you want to talk about this episode? By the way,
0: yeah, you may have noticed a little something something about this episode, and it was. A lot of dick. Um, <laughs> so along with my dad correcting our pronunciation of bosun's mate, he also said I said the D word too much in our Hawaii <laughs> episode. Now, keep in mind, I have said every four letter word possible in front of both of my parents. We, we Profanity is our second language. Dick is the one word my dad cannot stand to the point where he did not even write it out in his critique to me. He said the D word and I just <laughs> automatically knew which one he was talking about. I have said cunt in front of this man. I continue to say cunt <laughs> in front of this man. This is his line. So I got together with the girls. I said my ne- You know what? I got a grab that coming. I'm going to find somebody named Dick, and I'm just going to repeat it over and over throughout the entire episode. And the girls jumped in. So, Dad, (laughs) we love you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The trolling Daddy Hopper
0: (laughs) episode.
2: Let me tell you, it was very easy to sneak into Murderpedia and just type in dick and see what popped (laughs) up. And the first thing that popped up was a woman. And I was like, I'm here for it. I don't care what happened. I'm telling that story, which so I mean, I wasn't lying when I said I was looking on Murderpedia for someone to cover, but she happened to have everything I love. She had a little rhymey thing. She had a, you know, lots of murder, lots of scandals. So this is fun.
1: I was lying. Now my dad yeah. does. <laughs> like to, my, my dad does. Lord,
2: like to, I was lying.
1: I was <laughs> my dad does lying. like to watch YouTube documentaries uh, about the war uh, and all of that good stuff. But uh, yeah, Sheenus and a link. Um, I think it was a Wikipedia page, maybe. Yeah, a people, people named Dick. Named Dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how I came across Mister. Uh, and Maisie after.
0: Dick after researching Dick Bong, I need to see either A what your NSA agent is thinking of like what is she doing? True. Or your algorithm. Cause they're like, girl, yeah. girl, what? It's, it's, I think that's why I think that's why I
2: got the ad that I sent to y'all the other day. <laughs> oh, <goodness>. I was <laughs> scrolling through the Facebook, and then there is an ad where you can send someone a bouquet of dicks. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm 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 I will never do this to anyone
0: probably but yeah well, it makes can, sense that I received that ad this week. You <laughs> can also send um because I have no questions as to why my algorithm is the way it is. Um you can send somebody gummy dicks and the label mm-hmm. says eat a bag of dicks and so yes. <laughs> see okay because that is my phrase. My phrase
2: for some reason lately has been if I get mad at somebody, they can eat a bag of dicks. And Spencer, for Christmas, got a bag of dicks from somebody. It's like a little candy dicks. And so he <laughs> re-gifted it to me. He's like, since you talk about this all the time, here you go. Um, but did you know, speaking of sending things through the mail, that you can send anything mail. You can send a potato with like a yes. little message on it. I, I want to do that so much. I don't know why. I just I, I love the idea of sending someone a potato.
0: I would I'm love like, it. You go. Please send me potatoes. Here's I potato. like to tell
1: people to eat a satchel of Richards. I like to make it a little more.
0: <laughs> she likes well, to elevate it. A little when bit. when I'm
2: real mad, I say eat a bag of dicks and a sack of balls. So <laughs>
0: Ooh, love damn, because that's yeah. when I'm he says don't real leave angry. any on the table. Yes. No, the whole no thing.
2: One comes in a bag. One comes in a, a sack. So yes, but um, yes.
0: We we love Papa Hopper. We do. My, yes, my dad is great. We are going to troll. Um, lori's dad at some point with an all terry yeah episode, we'll have to do so. that sometime
2: mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah i just it's like you know what if hannah's gonna cover someone with a night why don't we all
0: yeah it's a
1: grand bag we can have fun yeah it, so right yep.
0: and um, shout out to my dad for listening to us every Yes. Week, so. exactly yes. and my mom i know my mom does too so yep
2: <laughs>
1: thankfully yep. mine don't they don't know how to operate <laughs> uh, <laughs> apple Podcasts. so Anyway, uh, Sheena, tell us, tell them what we're doing
2: next. Oh, next week, because it is awfully close to Valentine's Day, we are going to cover historical hotties, people who have lived and died and they were hot. And so we are going to we're going to talk about people we find attractive, which knowing us leave a
0: beautiful corpse. That's right.
2: (laughs) There's no telling who we're going to consider hot because we're us.
0: wildly interesting taste yeah
2: we do <laughs> we do
0: um so we're yeah talk about my decades long crush on billy corgan we're just not gonna do it so. hey i'm hey, right well, there with you He's not dead yet he's not dead yet he's, he's not, not dead yet i know i know thank goodness um thank goodness. but but, yes. but there we all
2: have those those historical people i'll tell you what bothers me i'm gonna uh, and i know we're going long I'm a part of this Facebook group about my hometown, and it's like historical photos from my hometown of Mississippi. It's become this huge group. There's like thousands of people in there. And it's so cool because it's historical photos from the town. So it's like, you know, a, the class photo from 1928 or something, or, yeah. you know, here's how the town looked in 1895 or whatever and every so often it is not often but every so often you'll see a guy and you're like that that guy does not look bad that you know you for 1895 or whatever and then I look at the name and I'm like but I hate your grandkid or or whatever I know the family you're a part of really fumbled the bag yes and 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 your great 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 granddaddy might have might have been a little bit looker but but man y'all are trash or something it just it, yes. it kills me i'm like it just i'm like no don't no don't be hot no i, I, I hate know. your
0: family that's like i don't my hate anyone's family boyfriend. but yeah I yeah those. And I'm yes like, oh wow your descendants probably did some horrifying shit but you were hot mm-hmm. yeah yeah and every so often you're just like dang i, I wouldn't mind time
2: traveling back to whatever to be like <laughs> hi um but anyway and then Luhu, where can they find us
1: we are on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us an email to cemetery row pod at gmail.com <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it sure would be nice if you told your friends about us. And if you yeah. went to whatever platform you're listening on and gave us a rating or a review, um, that would make us happy because I'm not sure that anyone did after my last plea. And, and how dare you? Um, we deserve a nice review. Dang it. Um, we love you all. Yes, we do love you all. Dang it. Love us too. Dang it. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, anyway, Um, I guess that's it and we'll see y'all in two weeks for hotties. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Bye.